three, two, one. You can tell a lot about a man, whether or not he's one of those dudes that has one of them wallet <laughs> phone cases. Rashad Evans, you're a wallet phone case guy. You, you pack it all into one package. You know what? I wasn't always a wallet phone case guy. It's kind of something that just, you know, I kind of evolved into. I was the one that was carrying around the, the, uh, the, man, purse? the man purse for mm. a while. And, and after a while, I kind of transitioned to just the 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 wallet case that's a lot of work though look how thick that sucker is it's, it's like a costanza look now. at that it, thing it, 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 i know and that here's thing's the thing giant every single time i clean it out i tell myself i'm not going to put any more cards in there except for the ones i need but it just attracts the cards yeah that's a problem i have one of those ridge wallets you know what those are yeah, yeah. those are the shit because you can't really get much in there i get like a credit card or two, and my license. And see, that's, that's it. see, that's what I need. I need to have that discipline yes. where there's nothing else to carry but what I have to carry. And it's got a little money clip on it, so I'll, I'll shove a couple bills in there, and that's it. That's it. See, I go that's, out like that. That's what I need. I that's what you need. Front pocket. Uh-huh. All this nonsense. That's so thick. It's thick. You I might know. as well go back to the man purse. But you know what? <laughs> you might as well get a backpack <laughs> or a fanny pack. <laughs> I'll send you one of these. I just sent two to Stipe Miocic. Those look all right, That's though. That's pretty but dope, right? Yeah, it is pretty That's dope. my own company makes – well, we don't make that. them. We buy them from Roots, yeah. and we put our stamp on it. Yeah, leather, right? You might want to go for you. Yeah, I do. Want one. Right. Yeah. yeah, you're a bold man. You can wear a fanny pack. Yeah. You're I, a shot you know what? I was, rocking, I was rocking the man purse before anybody else was wearing it. Really? I mean, out, out in America. Uh, <laughs> out in Europe, they were doing it a long time ago. But yeah. in America, I was like one of the – I was a trailblazer, I like to say, uh, at least among my friends. It is a weird <laughs> thing, right? Like, guys are not supposed to wear bags, but women have, like, right. fucking all these different brands of bags they carry around, Fendi and Gucci and this and that, and it makes you look like you're special because you got some fancy bag. And carrying a bag actually helped me be, be more prepared than ever because, I mean, I would always be carrying, one of them dudes mm-hmm. can't carry enough stuff and I'll always come with things wishing I had things that I didn't have and I'm like you know what the bag worked but why is it that we're afraid to carry a bag like a guy can carry a backpack backpack's fine I guess you got got shit to do you got a backpack you're fucking serious right it's got two straps but one strap like man what's wrong with you I think it's because you have to to do the 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 feminine hold at times with with the mm, with the like one this? the one strap yeah and that can but dudes do over the shoulder so you don't have to do that then you're like it's it's a satchel. then it's manly then it's manly then it's manly very strange right <laughs> how a bag became manly or not manly based on the amount of straps it's a thin line yeah and then for women it's like uh, it's like a status symbol. Like what kind yeah, of bag kind they're of bag carrying around. Nobody gives a fuck what kind of backpack you have. <laughs> right? Right. right. If, you, if a dude has a nice backpack, no one's like, bro, where'd you get that where'd backpack? You, get backpack? But, you know? I mean, you got a nice fanny pack. Fanny pack. Sort of. Not really. It doesn't get the respect <laughs> it deserves. Fanny but pack. It sticks out. The people are like, okay, he's got enough balls to carry a fanny pack. Yes. There's a little bit of that. A little bit of that. You know, a little bit of, I don't give a fuck. I seen the fanny pack carried where it's across the shoulder. That weak, looks kind of cool. Weak people. Weak people. You don't, you, scared. You don't, you don't think it's kind of. No, I think they're scared little, to rock a real cool. fanny pack. Like with the yeah, ways. They're cowards. cowards. They're cowards. They're fashion cowards. They don't want anybody calling them out on wearing a fanny pack. So, no, no, no. It's a shoulder bag. It's not a shoulder bag, you bitch. It it's right a fat front. man's fanny pack. You're wearing it over your shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. They're wearing it in a way you're not supposed to wear it. It's like if you wore a backpack around your waist. Like People would be like, what the fuck are you right. doing? It's not a backpack. 
What it's around, it's wrapped around your waist. What do you? What, but what I are you mean, doing? you think that Karen here, you have everything you want, like right here. What about need. right here, man? You don't uh, even have to lift your hands up. <laughs> you go like that. They're right in there. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm, I guess I'm just trying Ooh. to. I guess I'm trying to just wear like say it how I think I would wear that one, mm-hmm. but. You're, you're kind of convincing me, Joe, that maybe the front the front carry might be the it's the way to go. The, the only go. issue is girls won't fuck you. That's some all right. girls, that's all right. some girls, like you wear a fanny pack, you that's it. See, I'm married anyway, Beautiful. so I'm good now. Perfect. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, with that. every married man like myself, every should married man one. should have a fucking fanny pack. It's a deterrent. Pussy yeah, deterrent. It's, it's a little bit of that, but it's also fuck you. <laughs> that's what it says. Fuck you. I like, keep my it on my shit. Stuff. Right there. Keep my shit right there. That's hilarious. Yeah, keep it together. Keep it together. And then you also have this crazy green drink that you were telling me about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this right here is um, spirulina. Uh, ever since I changed my diet up, I need to have a couple of these every single day, and it uh, makes me feel good. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't eat meat anymore. So I know you're a big meat eater. Yeah. So. Do you eat fish or any of that? No. Nothing. Nothing. All vegan. All vegan. When did you become vegan? Uh, probably about. Oh, man, I want to say. Probably about almost two years now. Really? Yeah, almost two years now. Like it? I love it. Really? Love it. It's changed my life, man. It's been it's been one of the things I can honestly say that's just revolutionized my my complete everything. It's 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 been everything that that's um, lately that has you know changed me from a mental standpoint, physical standpoint. And even a spiritual standpoint, I definitely think it changes the mind because this all meat diet that I've been on that changes your mind the other way. It yeah, makes you, you more aggressive. aggressive. Yeah, too much so. Yeah, I have to work out extra to keep the keep the demons at it's bay. The blood. It's it the is. Blood. It's that. It's also like if you think about it, if you if your body thinks okay. I have to eat animals all the time because all this motherfucker eats is animals, right? Right. If your body thinks that, your body's going to sort of take on the characteristics of something that's a predator mm-hmm. right you would become more i mean this is obviously like some bullshit bro psychology because i'm a <laughs> moron but i would say your body is gonna think i'm more aggressive i have to chase shit down and kill it yeah right? that's that's you you have to be more predatory but your body has to think that way i can get with that I, it may it makes sense though it makes sense did you do it right after you retired um you know i kind of not right after i retired it was kind of something that um that kind of just happened. Like I, uh, ever since I, um, like, cause I, I do mushrooms, right? Uh oh. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was, it was when I did a, uh, like when I had a, a really, really deep trip that just caused me to, to uh, have one of those ego deaths. Mm-hmm. And when I had the ego death, I was like in a state where this knowingness was coming to me. And it was like, you know, I was like, uh, it was all day. It was I, I did a uh, mushroom ceremony, mm. and it was all day, and I was just out in the sun and just, you know, in my own mind. And then um, I was smelling real bad, and then I smelled myself. And I, you know, ever you catch a smell of yourself, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my god, I stink. And then the knowingness <laughs> said, like, you stink because you eat dead rotting flesh. And it said, if you want to eat, if you want life, then you eat life. That's what this knowingness said to me. And then. I was like, that's a strange thought to just come into my mind like that. Mm. And then after that, no kidding, like I just lost my taste for meat. It just and I used to eat all kinds of meat. I would eat, I would eat pork, and and I was you know big into pork and big into like all kinds of meat. And I was never one of those diet guys at all. But after that happened to me, after I had that experience, it was just like one of those things that um, that I just 
couldn't help but go into. Like I just mm. lost the taste for me. One trip. Yeah, I mean, well, it was well, it was it kind of started when I um like about eight months before that I did the toad, mm. and then the toad was one that that really was the catalyst for everything. There's a lot of people listening going, what the fuck is he saying? You did the toad? Yeah, yeah. So 5-MeO-DMT, which yeah. is the toad. And the toad was one that was, I guess, the the catalyst of busting that gate open. And That's then, a crazy psychedelic. That's yeah. a very underrated psychedelic. Oh, my God. It, it that, that will... Yeah, Man. that's the the first really. I had done mushrooms before, but I did a, a fairly small dose. I mean, fairly small in that I could walk around. I was pretty whacked out, but I could walk around a couple grams. But the five meo DMT was the first one where I just ceased to exist. I just stopped, and it made me really aware of ego, really aware of like even the way I express myself, the way I would frame sentences and say things. I was just I was trying to sound cool yeah. or I was trying to portray something in a way like not just trying to portray the information but trying to impress people and it made me like feel real gross yeah well that's <laughs> that's the thing like when um I had my five MEO experience it was uh man I, I just never I never thought that um consciousness could be so vast and so big you know when I when you, when you have that experience with the five meo, it just like it made this consciousness make look as if like it was a a, a drop in a bucket, you know, just like a little drop. And I got to experience the ocean of consciousness, and that right there was it was the most humbling experience I ever had, you know, just to uh, feel my ego, who I thought I was, what I thought I was, completely mm. just annihilated, and to feel what I actually was, you know, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. I feel like regular consciousness that most of us exist in most of the time is a veneer. It's a very thin veneer. Yeah. And through some things you get a taste of what's under the surface through meditation and yoga and all these different methods that people use holotropic breathing. You get a taste of what's underneath the surface. Kundalini yoga, apparently Kundalini yoga, apparently I've really, I've never really done it, but some people say you could really trip out if you do it. Uh, in a certain way for long periods of time people have like very intense psychedelic experiences akin to dmt yeah i had like a um like a kundalini kind of experience like a no awakening where it was like a uh as i just had um felt like the top of my head just completely was gone and it was it was like i was just open to all like the information it was it was a crazy it was like i had no 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 head like it was just i was just information was just pouring into like no roof no roof was this from kundalini no it it was uh it was it was from mushrooms but oh, it was but from a similar but type it, of. but i felt but i felt that um that that kundalini experience where you see the light mm -hmm. and it was like this really intense light that that happens in in my head and it was just boom you see you see the universe you know well you know that um that thing about the center of your head that's what the you, there's there's a lot of speculation on what the egyptians were trying to draw when they were drawing certain images but there's certain temples that seem to mimic 
uh, certain certain sh- uh, shapes in these temples that seem to mimic the pineal gland. Mm. Like even the eye, that there's that famous Egyptian eye that has that sort of dip down, yeah. you know, that weird sort of Egyptian shape. There's been a bunch of different scholars that have tried to figure out what exactly that meant. And one, one of the theories is that that's a cross-section of the pineal gland. And they think that what they were emphasizing was that that is the area where the brain produces all the psychedelic chemicals. And they, 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 they speculated this for a long time, but Dr. Rick Strassman, uh, he's the guy that wrote that uh, book, uh, DMT, The Spirit Molecule, and there was actually a documentary on it that I hosted. And he, um, he's done a bunch of work with this Cottonwood Research Foundation where they've shown now that it exists in live rats and that it, that it is actually produced by that gland, that DMT is actually produced in these animals by this one particular gland that they associated with spiritual awakening with yeah. the third eye. So it actually is a real thing, that feeling that you get. And yeah. the thing about mushrooms that's really interesting is mushrooms actually mimic natural human neurochemistry. There's 5-MeO-DMT, there's N-N-DMT, and then what mushrooms the what's processed to the way the way it uh, your body processes it becomes something called 4 phosphoryloxy nn dimethyltryptamine so it's real it's all real close, real close. i might have butchered that technical <laughs> description but that's it's it's real close to human neurochemistry so your body it absorbs it very easily your body takes it in your body knows what it is your yeah. body knows what to do with it see when i was um i like mushrooms because the mushrooms so the 5-MEO is so powerful that you, you can't really get a handle on what happened. Like, I, I came back from being away for, like, 17 minutes, and I'm just like, whoa, that was intense. You know, I felt as if, like, I was everything all at the same time, and it was, you know, so many different things that was just happening. But you really can't unpack it because it's 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 incomprehensible to an extent, for for the larger extent, because you're you're dealing with you know, concepts that the human mind can't even grasp because there's no vocabulary to to speak about it, you know? Right. So um, when I did the mushrooms, the mushrooms were kind of like the rivers and the lakes that leads to the ocean. And it helps me understand mm. how I am part of something so big and something so grand. So when I, when I did my mushroom, when I have my mushroom experiences, they were all different in some, in some respect, you know, like, um, like whenever I, I do go deep, because I like to go deep. I don't, I don't, I don't play around with like microdosing. The two, yeah, microdosing. I mean, I do microdosing sometimes, but I like to get in there with like five grams, maybe you know, mm-hmm. ten. You That's know, how you know big, what's up. Yeah, those big ones, the big doses where you you get kind of scared once you ate it, and then yeah. you know you got like forty minutes before it kicks in. You're like, oh boy, there's yeah. no turning back now. There's no turning back now. You, and that, but that's the thing about it when you face that that yeah. fear mm-hmm. of just going deep, and and it's helped me out so much because, you know, towards the end of my career, like I just didn't, I didn't finish the way I wanted to, you know, and I felt like. You know, after I came back from my injuries, I just wasn't the same for a fighter anymore. I just was were you not, not the same physically, or was it mentally? It was physical, but it also it became mental because it was because physically I just didn't feel the same. You know, I didn't feel like I, I ever regained the power back in in my legs, and for the most part, my legs were everything. You know, what I was, were the injuries? I had two ACL surgeries on my on my right knee. And that completely just uh, it, it changed everything for me because you know being a smaller light heavyweight, 
all of my power was all in my legs. You know, whatever right. I couldn't make up for in the size department up top, I was usually able to make up for with the power of my legs, you know. Is that related to the injury that you got when you were at Jackson's and Diego Sanchez crashed into you? No, that was so that was a different injury. So that was a uh, MCL, but it was okay. on my left knee. So the right knee was okay. the one who got that always drove me crazy because I'm like, why the fuck is a guy training for a world title fight in a regular class where, know. where everybody knows people collide into people with regular classes all the time with millions of dollars on the line? Crazy, and I know. I see that all the time though in top gyms. And but that see that see that's 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 where the the training has gone. Like like before we we would train like maniacs. We would train crazy as hell and put ourselves in some crazy situations. Mm -hmm. And you and you try to put yourself in a situation because you like. You know, I did it before and I've done it so many times and nothing has happened. But when you start to move up and there's more on the line, then you always have to take every single precaution because you can't afford to take a step back. You right. Know? And um, for me, once I had my knee injuries, though, I just mentally was not the same person. And when I competed, I wasn't the same person. And then it affected me because then I'm like. You know, I'm not the same person. Did you lose the ability to explode with your knees? Did you have meniscus damage as well? Um, I had meniscus damage. I lost yeah. the ability to explode. And I lost, um, it would get tired. My leg would get tired, you know, and it didn't have the same bounce, the same rhythm. And it mm. kind of felt, kind of felt heavy. And I couldn't really feel it in the front, you know, the front part of my knee. Uh, I couldn't really feel it. I had a little. Uh, did you have a patella tendon graft? I had a patella tendon graft. So they cut the front open yeah. and then they take the piece of the bone they take a slice of the patella tendon and a piece of the bone on the bottom and then they replace your acl with that correct yeah i did that too it takes a long time to get long that time. feeling back yeah it took me more than a year before it felt right and then even then if i was on my knees it would hurt like hell see and that's the thing like i still to this day like i still have dead spots where i can't feel on my knee right it's numb know? in the front yeah, it's yeah. Numb. and i think it had to do it a lot because i had two of the knee surgeries back to back like when i was only healing up from my first one then it ruptured again, so then I had Ugh. to go back in and get it done. You know, the first time it was with the cadaver, mm -hmm. and then the cadaver tissue didn't take, but it, I didn't know that until like almost a year later, and then it slipped out just training normally. Fuck. Yeah, so. ACLs are brutal. Oh, my gosh. It was, it's, it's, it's the worst, man. It's the worst. And I, I admire guys who can come back and look phenomenal and, 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 and do it, you know, still, because when you mess up your knee, you know, for me, it just kind of mentally just, mm -hmm. it messed me up a bit. How much physical rehab did you have to do for that? Man, I did a lot. I did years worth of it. Just, you know, the first time I, I didn't do it as well as I could have because I'm like, ah, you know, I, I bounced back pretty easy. And I did. Like, I felt like I was bouncing back pretty easy. But when it went the second time, then it was harder because not only was I healing from the ACL, but then my knee was healing in general just from, you know, the previous surgery and then plus this surgery. And then I had something different because in the first surgery, it wasn't it wasn't too invasive because yeah. I wasn't using my own uh, my own tissue. But that cadaver one is nice. It's, right. it's easy. It's easy if it works, if, right. it, if your body takes it. How long did it take before it broke, blew out again? Man, I was almost a year. I was training for another fight, thinking I could get back in shape and fight again. And then when I was training for that fight, it blew out again. Mm. Yeah, I was, I was scheduled to fight Gustafson, and then AJ ended up taking that fight instead. Mm. But it was, um, it it was, it was one that that just, you know, it was like uh, first of all, when I was out for two years healing from injury, you know, I got to see what it was like 
to when when all the cameras stop flashing, when people stop caring to get your pictures, when you know that whole feeling, that whole feeling that just that happens when you hit that when you when you hit that transitional point and stop becoming that guy. And um, it was difficult transition at first because you know even though I always told myself I would never you know put myself in a mindset of being just that fighter, sooner or later you become just that fighter, and and that's what happened to me. So when I had to uh meaning that you weren't the best. Well, not not just the best. But you were an elite. Right. Yeah, I just world wasn't class. I wasn't elite world class fighter like I used to be. I wasn't right. on that level anymore, you right. know, and that 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 was something for me that was just like god damn, you know. Well, your use of your legs was so pivotal. It was so yeah. so huge for you like when that in that rampage fight. I remember that opening sequence when you just darted after him and blasted him with the right hand. It was so fast. Like yeah. he didn't even know what the fuck was happening. As soon as the bell rang, you were on him and you cracked him quick. And, and I was like, "That is some serious explosion." And that and that was even in that fight. I could even wrestle like the last four weeks of that fight because I had a uh, I pulled my hamstring in a fight, so I was just really just drilling up until that fight for the last four weeks. Oof. So and when I came out like that, I was like I was little insecure and i was like you know what i'm just gonna see what happened if i go and then it worked i was like okay i still got some spring <laughs> but, it worked perfect yeah so um yeah so so when i when i was into my career and just kind of getting you know kind of f- trying to figure out like what what's next for me you know um it, it was hard you know it, it was just a hard place because um you know i really have anybody to talk to i didn't really know what i was going to do next in my life you know and then when I started fighting again, I still was in that place where I just wasn't, you know, totally back to fighting my mentality. Because fighting is, is, is something mentally that it takes it takes a certain mentality for, you know. And, and for me, fighting was something that I did to uh, exercise some demons a bit, you know. Mm. But, but having some time away from the sport, it allowed me to figure out other ways to exercise those demon, demons and you know, figure out some things around them, you know, the things that made me mad, the things that were my fuel before I kind of made peace with them mm. and then making peace with a lot of the things that I was using for my fuel. It just changed the way I fought and the way I seen fighting. So coming back to fight, I just wasn't that same fighter anymore. Mm. And then when I got to the point where I was like, man, I can't keep myself like I was like, man, I'm I'm not fighting the way I want to fight. And, you know, there's, I mean, what's the point? If I can't go and compete the way I want to, I'm only torturing myself. So then I decided to retire. But then when I retired, I was still was in that space where I was like, man, there's still something missing. So then when I did the five MEO DMT, that kind of put things in perspective in a in a whole different way, you know? And it and it just um it, it changed me. It changed me a lot. It changed the way that you know, like I said, the way I think, the way I eat, everything, everything about it. You know, so it was, um, it was so cathartic in so many sen- in so many uh, sense of the word. You know, do you think that something like that would be really beneficial for fighters that are in the twilight of their career? I think, I think it could be. I think, I think every fighter gets to a point where um, you fight enough, then fighting it kind of, it kind of, you kind of get in a weird space about it. And you know, I've seen fighters go through that period where they just kind of like. Figuring out that why why am I still doing this? You know they've had mm. great moments inside the cage, but then they have those down moments, and those down moments are the moments where it's harder to come back from. And I think 
those are the times where you, you know, a psychedelic or something like that could put things in perspective and, and allow the fighter to see the why behind the reason they're doing it and maybe create a new why. Yeah. You're so different. It's funny. You know, I've noticed that about you over the last few years of just, I don't get to see you that often. And when yeah. I get to see you over the last few years, I'm like, wow, something has changed in Rashad. Like you're, you're more, I mean, I hate to use the word spiritual, but you seem like a more spiritual, more peaceful guy. I had noticed that. So that's why I was really interested to have this conversation, see what your journey was. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been, it's been one hell of a journey, man. You know, um, you know, I just uh, I teamed up with some people in Denver. Uh, one of my good friends, Dale Jolly, out in Denver. You know, uh, he's the one who told me about the medicine, about the medicine, the toad medicine. And um, after that, we just kind of continued to always link up, and we do you know a bunch of ceremonies together. We do ayahuasca, and just um, just make sure we always have that connection. But it was uh, through working with him. Uh, you know, I um, I became you know part of this group. Unlimited Sciences and Unlimited Sciences, what we're doing is, um, you know, we've been able to, uh, we want to make psilocybin usage because Del Jolly was one of the guys who, who uh, got, who's on the committee who got it approved for Denver. Uh, decriminalizing. He was mm-hmm. one of the guys who 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 made that possible. Do you so, know how it works? So, are you allowed to possess a certain amount of psilocybin in Denver? Is that how it works? Um, I'm not really too sure exactly how it it all works uh, with that, but I think that they're still working out the details of how, about how it's going to be, which you can possess on on the uh, on the legal side. But um, with unlimited sciences, you know, we've uh, you know we we've been able to. Um, Take the, we want to take the psilocybin experience where it's one that people can go through for, for healing and help and, and get consistent uh, consistent information, consistent data on you know the, the full spectrum on how you can use it in the ways it's used. So we've uh, teamed up, and this has never been done before, we teamed up with John Hopkins University, and we're going to be part of their study, and we're going to do like the first real-world world, world study where we go out and, and uh, you know, take information from people, you know, people from 18 and up who can speak English can sign up for our um, our study. And, you know, what you do is you go and you fill out a questionnaire and everything is is um, HIPAA protected. So no one has to worry about, you know, getting in trouble for what their their usage of um, psilocybin. But, um, you know, John Hopkins is taking all this information and we're, we're collecting it for him. And, you know. What we want to do is we want to be able to give this back to them so that they can see on which way they want to direct their clinical research, you know. And what that can do is, you know, with with the unlimited sciences, it's it comes from uh, this group called Realm of Caring, and Realm of Caring is out in Denver. And Realm of Caring was for uh, medical refugees during the whole um, when there was a medical refugees for, for cannabis who couldn't use it in their state came to Denver where they were able to use it. But when they first came there, there wasn't, there wasn't, you know, any information on how much you to use because, uh, Heather Jackson and this other girl who started it, named is Paige. They started the realm of caring and it was just them. They were treating their child and their children. They had seizures and epilepsy and stuff like that. So they wanted, they tried everything in a medical field to help them, but they couldn't, could not help him with that. So then he went to cannabis 
and there was only two of them doing it, so they didn't really have much information to go back from. So then they would share information amongst each other, and then they would ask other people. And then through networking, they created this huge community of people with data, and then they started to come with more and more data, and then they started working with John Hopkins University and made a protocol and everything else. Now the realm of caring helped thousands of families all over the world just with the information and data that they've been able to collect. That's awesome. John Hopkins has been involved in psilocybin research for a while, right? They had some thing that they did on near-death patients, yeah. pe- people that are close to death, and alleviating the the, the fear of passing. Yeah, and, and that's um, and that and that's and that's one thing that they've they've they're they're very interested in diving into that the mind aspect and everything, and, mm. and I think that the real world study would be good because what it does is it allows, you know it allows them to put their money and their resources into where people are actually using it and the things that are interesting to the people, you know? So, I mean, it's one thing to have it in a clinic, clinical setting, but it's another thing to do it on your own and be able mm. to get the results from it. So hopefully to study with John Hopkins university, it, um, it definitely changes games and, and puts things on a level where people can get the healing they need from the mushrooms. Have you read any McKenna stuff? Um, a little bit. I I uh, I follow McKenna a bit. You know, uh, I, I, li- I listen to him quite a bit. Yeah, fascinating guy. Listen, fascinating weird, guy. weird, weird voice, right? Weird, weird voice, but but, but hypnotic mean, almost. Yeah, you, know? you, you can't. I, I mean, I, I listen to hours of McKenna and just his understanding and breakdown of of uh, of mushrooms is well, crazy. I'm friends with his brother, and his his brother is a, another genius, really fascinating character. Who's also an Alt's book and psychedelic proponent, and uh, he lives up in uh, British Columbia now. And he's uh, he's a big proponent of one of De- Terence had a, a theory that Dennis subscribes to called um, the stoned ape theory. Uh, Do you know yeah, this theory? Yeah, yeah. And this is a really controversial theory, theory, but fascinating that they believe that at least Terence Terence had this idea that one of the catalysts for human evolution that changed us from uh, lower primates to human beings. Uh, was the consumption of psilocybin and that animals, you know, these, these pre, pre-human uh, primates would flip over cow patties and experiment by eating grubs and, and bugs and things they'd find in there and they would also eat the mushrooms that would grow on the cow patties. And the doubling of the human brain size over a period of two million years is this gigantic yeah. mystery. Like they have no idea what happened. I mean, it's a apparently, according to biologists, is the biggest mystery in the fossil record that the human brain doubled. And not just that any organ would double in size over a period of two million years, but that the organ responsible for the theory of evolution in the first place doubled over two million years is really interesting. But it coincides with climate change and coincides with these rainforest, and this is all Terence's work, I'm, I'm repeating, it coincides with these rainforests receding into grasslands and then these undulates, these cow, cow-like cow animals that would live on these grasslands and eat the cow and take shits. And then the manure would grow, or uh, the psilocybin rather, would grow in the manure and they, the, they would follow these cows around and then eat their mushrooms that would gl- grow in their manure. And it also coincides with the earliest, earliest civilizations would all worship cattle. Like uh, Choctaw Hiuk, which yeah. is one of the earliest known civilizations, they had these. It was a real cattle worshiping uh, sort of. Uh, I don't want to say a cult, but the, the way their culture would operate, they worshipped cattle. And some would say, well, that's because they ate them and they used their milk. I'm sure, 
I'm sure that had something to do with it. But like the Hindus don't even eat them. They just worship yeah. them. Imagine that. You got a billion people living in a place. Everyone's starving and they're not eating the cows. They're not eating the most delicious right. animal on the planet. Well, it's because they grew mushrooms. And the ancient Hindu scripts, like Soma, is one of the the main sacraments that they would talk about. No one really understood. To this day, they're not exactly sure what Soma is. But it's some sort of a psychedelic sacrament. And it probably was a combination of many things. But a big one was most likely psilocybin was a part of that. And that sort of corresponded with their relationship with cows. They had this this worship of cattle when they wouldn't eat them. And the reason is because God came out of their butt <laughs> in, in their eyes, you know, they would make the manure, the mushrooms would grow in the manure. And I mean, there's all sorts of mushroom iconography and all of their ancient religious artwork. And I mean, I think mushrooms, are, I, I, I know mushrooms have played a big part in our society. And yeah. We, I mean, in, in our civilization, in our ancient civilization. For sure. And I don't think it's been, you know, properly covered the way that uh, it could be. But right. Um, it, it, it's amazing because the minute you, you eat a mushroom at the right dosage, you feel it. You feel the fact that it's like, oh, this is something ancient because there, there's something that happens when, when you go to that place where you, you, you lose the, you lose the self. Mm. When you lose the self, then there's, there's something that, that happens. That's, that's just magical. There really is no way to to explain it or dress it up with words. It's just it's just a ma something magical that happens once you reach that level. Yeah, whenever I have these conversations with people, there's two types of people. There's people like you that have had the experiences that go, mm-hmm. And then there's people that have no experience at all that look you like, Psst. Yeah, it's mushrooms. But I feel bad for those people. I do too. Because I know how I used to think, and I would have dismissed it the same way. I would have said, this is the foolish notions of frivolous spiritual people that are just being ridiculous, and they think, oh, it's all about the mushrooms, man. Yeah. And But it is. it is. If you do it, you'll realize, like, oh, well, if you do any real potent breakthrough psychedelic, any real breakthrough psychedelic experience is going to make you hungry. It's going to make you realize like, oh, there's more to this than everyday consciousness. Yeah. There's more to this experience, this existence. There's something way bigger. And you only can tap into it through a variety of different methods, whether it's, you know, would, would, you know name your psychedelic or name your trance-like state that people can go into. There's a lot of different ways to tap into it. But once you do, you realize like this is not... This little thin thing that we're touching right now, this is not everything. Right. And that's the thing about it. It really just cuts through the whole materialism of everything. Yeah. And it really shows that um, materialism is just a, a product of consciousness, you know. And sometimes we, we tend to think that, you know, our, our, our consciousness is a product of the materialism. But, you know, at the end of the day, consciousness is everything. And, mm -hmm. and, and I, when I did my toad experience, I almost felt as if, like, I'm not really here. And I'm really somewhere else just projecting my consciousness to here. And it seemed as if like when I smoked the toad, the venom severed that connection and the connection wasn't able to come here on earth. And I was just really where I, I really am. That's what it felt like. Mm. And then when I came back to my body, I remember feeling like, like I didn't want to come back. And, and I actually, <laughs> I actually, it was saying like, please don't go, please don't go wow. when I came back. Wow. I felt like I was, I dissolved and I became a part of everything. I felt like, like I always tend to think of 
life as like my own view of experience. It's right here, right? My life is right here. Now, right now it's in this room. Later on, it'll be at the comedy store. There's right. places I go. My life is where those places are. But when I had my first MAO DM, M5 MAO DMT experience, it felt like, no, no, no. It's all together. Mm. You're in the middle of this infinite soup of life. Of life. And there's no one spot. Right. That spot is your imagination. Yeah. It's like your own, the limitations of your biology that we have kept from the time that we were small little mammals to the time that we were lower primates to the time that we're human beings. The limit, the biological instincts to survive and to preserve our DNA and to carry that DNA on, DNA on, all of those instincts are the reason why we're here, but also so limiting right. because they, they keep your consciousness bottled up in the location that you're at. It keeps mm -hmm. your, your feeling of life contained to wherever you're at at that moment and staying safe and then keeping people paying attention to you and making yeah. sure you got the coolest shit and yeah. all the things that seem so silly when you trip. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When, um, when, it, when I fall away and the feeling of falling away and, and not being who I, who I think I am it is almost the most freeing feeling, but at the same time, it's one of the scariest. Yeah. It's one of the scariest at the same time, but it's, um, it's necessary and it's, and it's necessary in order to to reach a certain point uh, of understanding. You know, when, when you reach a certain point of understanding of going inside, then you don't need a guru. guru. You don't need anyone to, to, to drop insight or knowledge because all the knowledge and insight, it's there if you go deep enough and you know how to go deep enough, you know, and you understand the fact that, you know, um, there's this, there's there's just this knowingness and it's hard to explain like it sounds crazy to say mm -hmm. but there's just this knowingness out there and you can tap into it yeah there's something out there for sure what's interesting to me is some people have a way better grasp of the english language and they're way better at describing things mm -hmm. the way they're way better at sort of um putting trips into perspective because everyone sucks at it. Yeah. Even the best people suck at it. I'm terrible at it. I've, I've, I've described it the same way you described it. There's not really words for it. Mm -hmm. You know, you do your best, but it's so poor. Like you're, you're, you're just the ability that words have to convey the experience there. There's no words that are correct. It's, yeah. they're, it, they don't even get in the neighborhood. They get, they wrap around it. They try. They, and even and even in a state, I remember being in a state where um, where I was in on what one of my deepest trips, and I'm in the trip, and my friend looks over at me, and then I rave him over because I want to tell him the secret that I found about you know about consciousness and about existence, but um, I couldn't tell him because the the knowingness to tell me if I tell him, then I'm not going to be able to come back and live. You know, I had to go, I had to, I had to leave this earth. That's what it was telling me. So I remember just sitting there, just like, man, I, I want to be able to to tell him and be able to convey to him in words what I'm feeling. The only thing that came out of my mouth was, just go sit over there, it'll come to you. <laughs> because that's what happened to me. Like I was sitting, like right. it, like I was I was in his I was in his yard, and uh, I just went and I went and walked. And as I was walking, this knowingness told me, like I, I was walking barefoot in his grass and I kept getting my feet poked. And the knowingness told me, it was like, you know, it told me the path to walk. And it said, I'm, the reason why I'm stepping on these, these uh, getting pricked is because I'm stepping on live grass, stepping on the dead spots where there's no 
And it just came to me just that clear. And I just started doing it and I wasn't getting pricked by any grass anymore. Then it told me to sit down and then I sat down and then I just had like the most profound just realizations just hit me. Like it, it was like it was like it was coming out of the sun. It sounds crazy to say. <laughs> I, it, I was outside and I went and I was looking at the sun and it was like the sun transitioned to something else. It was just became very deep and it had layers of it was it was very, very trippy. But during that experience, I remember looking around and seeing everyone that I was with and laughing to myself saying, like, they would not believe this, but I'm actually every single one of them. And that that was like a thought that I remember thinking and feeling like it, like I'm feeling myself right now. And it bugged me out. It, it I know it's, it's deep. It's, it's so deep. Man. Do you still train all the time? Yeah. I train all the time. You train all the time. Yeah. Do you, what, do you feel different? Like even when you're hitting things? Yeah. I've, I've, but not, but not in a way like I feel like, Oh man, I feel bad. I, I don't feel like that. I just feel like, um, I may, Ever since I was able to to kind of come back after I, this whole transition happened, I feel like I have a better idea on competing now. Like as far as like my mindset for competing is, is better than it was before just because I don't um, – my ego is not so attached to it as it was, you know. And, and, it, and I'm able to go out and just give my best in whatever it is. It is, and, and completely just be like, oh, it, you know, it's whatever. And and it's easy to say now that I'm not competing where it counts for anything. But for me, before, even in practice, it felt like something. If I lost in practice, then it would stick with me for a couple of days. You know, I'd, I'd be upset about that. But now I can just go in and just train and, you know, and it doesn't it doesn't stay with me like it would before. Do you feel like, though, that to be an elite fighter, maybe you need that burning desire to the point where mistakes burn and they hurt? And I know as a comedian, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a parallel there, like where when, if I'm really working hard or really concentrating hard, anything I say that is stupid or mm -hmm. comes off wrong or I try something that doesn't work, it will fuck with me for days, yeah. just all day long. Even in conversation, I'm having fun with some friends, and I say something stupid like that. I'm like it'll sit in my head yeah. for a day. I'll wake up in the middle of the night to piss, going, "Why the fuck, fuck did that. you say that?" <laughs> it's the worst. No, you you do you do need that as an athlete, but at the same time, particularly as a fighter, right? Yeah, because you you have to. I mean, it's so the the difference between a champion, you know, is about more than anybody. Between a champion and a good fighter, so close. It's such a. It's so close. It's, it's so, so close. close. It is. And sometimes it's that fucking fire, that anger, that fear, that drive inside of you to be elite, to be the best. And sometimes that comes with every practice you have to win, everything you have to do, every fucking training session. You you have to burn it out. If you don't, you feel like you're less than you could be. Yeah, I, I I agree with that, but there's also the other side of that too, where there's that 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 blissful ignorance, and that blissful ignorance is where you just go out and do something, and you do it a hundred percent great all the time, just mm -hmm. because you enjoy it, and there's not right. the pressure of oh, I have to do it a certain kind of way. Like, like for instance, when when um when John Jones was first competing, John Jones 
he competed so freely because you know it was just like he was it was just in his nature like he was just so creative and, and yeah. he fought different because of you know he fought from that place of just creativity that ignorance that 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 ignorant bliss you know it, he couldn't be beat he didn't believe he can be beat and you know he would fight that way and he would do some genius stuff in there just because of that you know but then when you have those experiences where you you know you've been caught in a fight or you've you know you made some mistakes in there then you do know better but then those 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 thoughts it actually slows you down a bit too because you're not fully reacting you're you're thinking a, a mm-hmm. hair where before it was just kind of like a reaction yeah i talk about his opening fight the opening sequence of his fight with shogun I mean, he's 23 years old, he's fighting for the world title, and he opens up with a flying knee. Right. Who the fuck does that? That's, that, that, was, yeah, that, 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 was, was, that, that was that dumb and young. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? That, that's yeah. the best way to say it. But at the same time, that, that, that blissful ignorance, that's what made, that was his blueprint for so long, you mm-hmm. know? And, and he's turned it into a whole fighting style, just that, you know, letting it off, hang out, letting it fly. And that's what worried me. Um, that's why I thought in this fight with Dominic Reyes, it was going to be a closer fight because of the fact that Dominic Reyes now had that, what John used to have being that, that blissful ignorance. Mm. He didn't really know how much, you know, how better John was or didn't even care. He was just kind of like, oh, I can win. You know what I'm saying? He, right. he was so confident in himself almost in a, in an ignorant blissful way, but it worked out for him, you know? Well, what's interesting about that fight is first of all, it's a great argument for five round championship fights. Because yeah. for the first three rounds, Dominic Reyes was winning. Yeah. The question is <clears throat> whether he won the third round. That's the one I believe that's up for grabs. Most people that I've talked to think John won the last two clearly. Most people. Most people that I talk to that are experts, most people, few d- disagree, believe that Dominic Reyes won the first three. And the third round is the one that seems to be, you could go, well, Dominic scored more, but it was close enough where you could see someone giving it to John, particularly since John was pressing the action. John was pushing forward. Maybe you give it to John, but they thought Dominic won it. But they said if there's a disputable round, it is that third round. Yeah, but I agree. One fucking judge gave John four rounds to one. That's insane. Yeah, that this is insane. the same judge that... When I believe uh, Luke Thomas was talking about this, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm wrong, because I'm not saying the judge's name because I'm not sure if I'm correct, but I believe it's the same judge that um, Trevin Giles, who fought uh, James Krause, um, Giles and Krause was an amazing fight. Giles won a, wound up winning the decision, but the first round, Krause had his back for four minutes, and the, refer- the judge gave that round to Giles, mm. which is insane. I mean, yeah. for four minutes, Krause had his back. Was the guy was fighting off chokes? Krause was real close to submitting him a couple times during those four minutes, and the judge, the same judge who gave four rounds to John Jones, gave that first round to Giles, where there was a dude on his back That's for four crazy. fucking minutes, that, that, that. most of the round, and maybe even a fucking more egregious fight was um, uh, Andre Ewell versus. Uh, Jonathan Martinez that fight was fucking crazy that fight was crazy that was the most crazy one Martinez won yeah. that fight Martinez yeah. won that fight Ewell broke his arm I think I'm not sure if it's a broken arm but he had a significant injury to his right hand early in the fight 
somewhere in between either the first or the second round, not sure, but he really couldn't throw a right hand, and it was kind of hanging. You could kind of see it was hanging, and Martinez put in work. It was an amazing performance by him, and he got fucked over, man, real bad. It was bad decision-making. There was a bunch of bad fights. There was a bunch of bad decisions. It wasn't just one. There was like four or five on a a card of, what, 12 fights, 11, 12 fights. I forget how many it was from the opening prelims. There was bad decisions. Just almost like people who don't know what they're seeing. Yeah, and, and and that's crazy too, especially when we reach the point that we have in mixed martial arts. You know, I think that we've we, we've turned the corner in that, meaning the fact that there's there's so many uh, so much out there, so much knowledge out there in the sport and everything else like that. And if you're going to be judging it, you got to at least know when somebody is is winning a round. I mean, you know, there there's aspects of of John's game that that was. You know, score some points. You know, he was always moving forward with the mm-hmm. action. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, even when he was moving forward with the action, he wasn't terribly too offensive. He would come with his legs, but you know, a lot of times he he would allow he would allow uh, Dominic to kind of be the first one initiating and then moving off. And it, sometimes it seemed like he was just kind of chasing him. But um, you know, I, I think that uh, it was it it was that third round. That third round was that that hard round to score. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's I I I think that Dom had the edge. But if you're gonna beat the champ, then you gotta beat the champ. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he did that. John Jones impressed me so much with the shots that he was able to take. But more or less, the mindset that John had that 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 mindset that John had in those championship rounds to me that that showed that this guy is. You know he is a total package, and and when it comes to fighting, just mentally speaking, you know he's he's somebody who I fought, thought that was frustrated, and working through his own frustrating in the fight for his frustration in the fight is is difficult, and yeah. he didn't succumb to his own frustration, and and he just kept that pressure going and took some big shots from a heavy hitter. But uh, Dominic Reyes is a problem for anybody. He's a problem. He's a real problem, especially now that he's he's oh got that gosh. rub. He touched touched greatness yeah. with John, yeah. who's the greatest ever. I feel like those last two rounds should count more. This is my personal opinion. But uh, John Kavanaugh said something on his Twitter page. I believe it was John Kavanaugh, and it reflects exactly how I feel. That if this fight was going to go on another five rounds, it's pretty fucking clear to me who's going to win. Who's going to who? This is to the death. John Jones is going to win that fight. Yeah. You know, it's if it's to the death, there's no doubt about it in my mind that John Jones is eventually going to get him. Yeah. Those last two rounds Dominic Reyes was hurting. You could see him looking and taking big deep breaths and trying to move and his arms were labored and John just kept pressing, kept yeah. pressing, kept kicking him, kept punching him, kept trying for the takedown. And that should mean more. It should mean more towards the end of the fight. At the end of the fight, if you win a decision, but you you just got your ass kicked for the last four minutes, that right. seems crazy to me that you won the fight. Yeah. Because, I mean, I know this is a dumb way to think about it, but if we were in a schoolyard, right? We were in high school, and some dude and another dude fought. The dude who's getting the shit beat out of him at the end of the fight is the guy who lost. Right, right. right. When the teachers come and they pull you off that guy... That, that's who, that's, won. that's who won. A fight. That's who won. Yeah. And I, I know that you can't score a professional <laughs> sport the way you look, but it is the rarest of rare professional sports because it's a, the sport of fighting. Right. And in fighting, when you're getting your ass kicked, you were, you know, you're supposed to, you're supposed to lose. If yeah. you're getting your ass kicked, you lost. Yeah. But if, and if you're kicking the guy's ass, you win. Sounds crazy, but at the end of that fight, John Jones was kicking Dominic Reyes' ass. 
He, he really was, was. He was chasing him down. Dominic was taking some big deep breaths. He was firing back. I mean, he fired back very well in the fourth round. But John absorbed. John has a fucking hell of a chin, too. Oh, my god! Hell of a chin. Oh, my god! A it's- hell of a chin. I mean, you can't. He's he's something special because of everything. It's not he's something special because of his physical attributes. He's very tall and long. He's very strong. It's not just his skill. He's got great wrestling. He's got great striking. It is all. It is his mind too. Yeah. It's all those things. He. It's yeah. his ability to press forward. It's ability to break people. It's ability to stay on top of you. Have that champion's mindset, and to know that he's fought the majority of his career as a world champion, which is fucking Unreal. crazy. I know. I mean, almost a decade as the greatest in the world, chasing everybody that he's fought, every single fighter that he's fought. You look at them, they're all guys like you, Mm -hmm. guys like Machida, world champions, Rampage, world champions, over and over and over again. You you go through the the list of them. Just all these killers. There's this killer after killer. Gustafson, you know, I mean, you you just keep going through his entire career. DC twice. Stopped him in the second fight. He's a fucking assassin. And and the, the most impressive thing about it for me is the fact that, you know, on a physical scale, he's phenomenal. But just mentally speaking, to be able to go through everything that he's gone through, you know, the ups and downs yeah. and what that what that does to your mind. Yes. You know, what that does to your mind and, and just being able to put that to a side or be able to use it in order to go out and still perform as if, like, he hasn't missed a beat. Yeah. That is hard because it, it gets to the point, um, you know, you, you get you – get, with anything in life, you get tired of the monotony of it. You get you get jaded by it, yeah. and he hasn't been jaded by it, and he still goes out there and performs like that. That's well, impressive. I, I think he needed someone like Dominic to get that fear going too. I think he knew Dominic Reyes physically is a talented guy. Yeah. He's a great athlete. He has tremendous footwork. His ability to change angles and then fire back is insane. I know. It's so good. You saw it in the OSP fight where he knocked him out with like a couple seconds yeah. to go. You see it in a lot. His Jared Cannonier fight, he could step back and fire, fire uppercut, step back and fire that straight left. His ability to change direction is amazing. And I think a lot of that could be attributed to his football basketball i mean um baseball like footwork movement his ability to explode all that stuff that he did in other sports i think directly translates to his ability to move really well inside the octagon and then on top of it he's gigantic he's the same size as john which is very unusual for john to face someone that's his height and he's really fucking strong too that's that now that was the intangible that i think that john didn't expect he didn't expect for him to be as strong as he was. When because, he's able to get back up every yeah, time, like, when he, shit. like get up like he wasn't even on him. Like, yep. dang. His that, legs are yeah. fucking huge. You look at Reyes' legs. Oh, huge. Yeah, huge. I mean, he's got tremendous power. I mean, both with his punches, but also with his ability to move, man. He was throwing great kicks. He was chopping at John's legs. I mean, I out of any fight in John's future, I want to see a rematch. I really want to see what Dominic Reyes looks like now with this rub, understanding how close he was, and then the the amount of conditioning that he's going to have to put himself through right. to be able to do that again five rounds. And it's not like either guy got fucked up in that fight where they're going to be severely damaged. It's not like one of those crazy wars where, like, 
Adesanya, Kelvin Gastelum. At the end of that fight, I was like, oh, my God. You know, I hope Kelvin takes some time off right. after that one. That was chaos, just wildness. It wasn't like that. It was a grueling, difficult, hard fight. But it wasn't a fight where there was so much damage that both John and and uh, Dominic need to take a long time off. I feel like you could make that fight in eight months. Absolutely. And that would be the fight to make. That's yeah. that is a that's a crazy rematch. And and the thing about it was surprisingly to see like they like their faces weren't beat up at no. all. And I'm like these dudes were landing some shots yes. on each other, and their yes. faces not even. Yes. Like I thought for sure John's lip would be all swollen like it was when he fought uh, Gustafson. Yeah. But, he he took he took those shots well, man. It, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. But I think that this is exactly what John needed in that light heavyweight weight class because, you know, it, it does it was getting kind of stagnant, and I think it needed some time to mature. But I think I think Dominic Reyes just said, "Yo, you better stay here for a little bit." And there's another guy, Corey Anderson. Oh yes, Corey Anderson. Oh yes. is somebody. Listen, I'm, that's I'm, the dark horse. Yes, I've been telling I'm, everybody. Listen, that's the dark horse. The way he knocked out Johnny Walker. Yes, and he's angry. He's angry. He's angry. And that's something you've never seen, Corey. Yes. You've never seen that before. After that fight, he I was like letting everybody know, you fuckers been slipping. Yeah. You've been sleeping on me. You yeah. guys have been pretending that I don't exist. That's, that's I'm out here I, beating the best in the world. If he fights John Jones, I think that's one that John better be like, all right, I better he get He better be for. so ready. Yeah, yeah, Corey's got, he doesn't have a chip. He's got logs on his shoulder. I know. Corey, yeah. he's angry. He's pissed. He's pissed off. After that Johnny Walker fight, he was so out of character. He's screaming and yelling and fucking, you know, he was so, he was angry after he won. He knocked him out in the first round and then he's bad. The, the, the years of disrespect, though, yes. like, and, that's, and that's how he trained. Though he always trained with that that mindset, like, oh, they don't respect me, you know. Yep. And that's why he worked so hard. Yes, his endurance is insane. His oh pace God. is insane. Yeah, train, training alongside those guys in in, um, in Jersey was probably one of the, the best experiences of my career. Training with Mark Henry was was mind blowing. You were telling me about this. You and I had this long yeah. conversation about that. Tell me what it's like to work with that guy. Mark Henry is is a genius. You know, what he does is he breaks down the game like no one ever uh, ever, ever trained with before. Um so for every combination that we throw, every punch is all accounted for with a code. And that code is uh specific to to you and and to what's in important in your life and the way you value so he sits and he talks talks to you about you know your family and whatnot and then you know he'll make these codes up and these codes would just be like for a combination of be i say uh jab cross hook you know then he'll, he'll say that is that's nia that's my daughter's name and then he'll Jesus. make a whole whole system of codes with just names and then when you're sparring he'll call off the name and you just got to know what that technique goes to. Wow. There's, there's a bunch of different techniques for different colors, for different movement. And, you know, he can have, he just says it. And it's like he's, like when I watch him go with Frankie, because Frankie has a system down the best. It's like he's controlling Frankie like a, like a, like a, like a game. And he's just saying, like Xbox like controller. Xbox, yeah, he's just saying these commands and Frankie hears them. And then he goes off and, you know, sometimes like if if I'm going and I don't see it, he'll say something. And I don't see it. I'll like nod it off, and then he'll he'll say another one. But if he says it, then most of the time I just do it because he sees it. And, right. You know, that's crazy to have that kind of confidence in another person. I, it's it, well, that's the, well, that's that's the part of the training that that you learn, and then you know, uh, you you kind of the good side to that is that you it makes it easier. 
for when you're just out there fighting. Sometimes it can be dif- difficult if you are too dependent on it and you just kind of lose the ability to create yourself, you know. But for the most part, um, he does such a good job of breaking it down that uh, it, it's it's pretty easy. But it is a, it is a a very technical system to learn. And anybody who gets a chance to work with Mark Henry, I suggest you do it because. And here's another thing: Mark Henry is one of those guys. Like I stayed at his house when I first uh, went went and stayed with him, and he doesn't sleep. Like he'll stay up to like two, three o'clock in the morning watching film, and then he'll go to sleep for a couple hours, and he'll wake up at like seven, seven in the morning to go do his uh, first pizza shop because he owns a pizza shop, and he has this crazy work schedule, but he he loves fighting. It's so weird that a guy runs a successful pizza business and he's also one of the best trainers in the world. Yes. And he's so strange. And he makes a killing during yeah. with his pizza shop. He kills it. I heard his basement gym is amazing. Oh, it is it is amazing. His basement gym is where all the magic happens, man. He uh he has all the codes written out and he he tor- he torture you in that basement. He'll torture <laughs> you. He'll he'll get your mindset like sharp as hell, but he he'll torture in that that basement, you know. And well, it's he, so such a diverse group of fighters, right? Zabit comes down there, yeah. <laughs> Marlon Moraes. It's a, he had so many uh, interesting guys, Edson Barboza. So many interesting guys had gone through that gym. It's it's so crazy. Like when I first um, like I was standing there, and I got to train with Zabit a little bit, and got to live with Zabit and and the Russian, the Dagestan fighters. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty pretty cool experience because it, you know you kind of get to know their culture and just kind of just. Uh, just get a different respect for it, you know. And those guys are, are just hard workers. Those Dagestani guys—they're so hard. They 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 work hard. They pray hard. They they just are very very focused individuals. And you watch them, you're like, oh, okay, you know. Even I'm like, you know what? Maybe I need to get a little bit more serious about my thing, you know. <laughs> but uh, that's where the 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 success comes from. I that's mean, that's it. Think about how many great fighters come out of that region. I mean, it's really it's extraordinary. Yeah, and they, these guys are phenomenal. Like I watch them after training, and these guys do um, this this uh, like so like a randori type of sparring afterwards, and they just do like jumping off the walls, all these kind of like these acrobatic crazy moves that you don't think will ever work, and you see them like, oh my god, where do you, where do you get that from? They practice it all the time, and they just. They just they just do all these kind of crazy moves at the end of training and at the end of training at the end of training like so or, like they're done with all the real work let's just fuck around and see if we get creative yeah they get creative and they just start just doing all kinds of stuff and they you know throw real moves in there but they just they drill everything and the beat that dude is the beat is is probably like one of the best guys I ever seen in training just like like martial arts wise this guy yeah. he jumps off the cage and and do all kinds of acrobats and come down doing all kinds of ground acrobats and he just he just makes it look so effortless and easy it's crazy he is really good he's he's really good with his mixture of traditional martial arts techniques you know because he has that kung fu background so he throws a lot of like round kicks and spinning kicks and all that kind of crazy shit but then he'll hit you with like some judo shit a lot of tosses and trips yeah and he's got great submissions too i mean he's got great wrestling he's got great boxing i mean he's a weird combination of a bunch of different styles and he's tall too mm-hmm. that tall that the, the tall length is is really um 
is something that helps him out too. Because Frankie Edgar, whenever he goes with him, he's like, man, I feel like I can get him down. But then I look down and then his feet are still touching the ground. I swear I have him up. <laughs> <laughs> and his feet are still touching. He's so tall for yeah, 145. He's so tall, 145. i tell you what, though. He had a hard time in his last fight with Calvin Cater. That dude, yeah. that dude is fucking dangerous. Well, Cater's a dog, though. He's Cater, a dog. He's a dog. He's the sure. dark horse at 45, in my opinion, because he was beating Zabit in that last round. Yeah, it was, was. And it was rough. Like, Zabit was trying to just get the fuck away from him. And he just stays on him. And I think he has the best boxing in that division. And he's also huge for 45. Yes, he you is. You stand next to him, you're like, how the fuck are you weighing 145? Yeah. He looks like he's a 160. Yeah. He doesn't look anything like 145. I know. It seemed like in that fight, Cater kind of realized towards the end, like, wait a minute, I can I can beat this dude, you know? Yeah. And that happens sometimes. When you go against a guy who has, like, a bunch of different tricks, you find yourself putting, your, putting yourself in his trick bag just by being aware of all the things that he can do you, mm. you find yourself like oh he's gonna set that up oh he's gonna set that up mm. and by you being too watchful of what he's doing you're shutting your own game down mm. and it seemed like Cater just threw caution to the wind that third round was like you know what I'm gonna just go out and just make it happen and then well, when he did that he found his opportunities I think also the first two rounds were really fast paced and I think in the third round Cater was the one who was in better condition yeah. he was the one who was pressing the pace in the third round and he was also landing body shots like some body nasty nasty body shots that were adding up He's he's a fascinating guy, Calvin Cater. I'm really interested uh, to see him. He's fighting Jeremy Stevens next, which should be fucking chaos, because Jeremy Stevens is another savage. Oh man, he's a savage. I love. He only him fight. fights one way, and that's you know, kill or be killed. See, I feel like guys like that don't even need to win. They just need to go out there and just fight because, like, like <laughs> his fighting is so good. You just want to see him go out there oh, and yeah. just fight, man. Yeah, well, he's had so many oh shit moments in his career. Like Dennis Bermudez, he <laughs> oh, hits him with that God. flying knee up against the cage. You know, he, he, Josh Emmett, that the KO of Josh Emmett, he yeah. fucks people up, man. He does, and man. he's got ridiculous power too. And with Calvin's boxing and Jeremy's savagery, the two of them together, and Jeremy has ridiculous power. The two of them together, that's going to be amazing. And then they have Zabit. Zabit is now going to fight Ortega. Brian Ortega's comeback fight is going to mm. be Zabit. And th that's a tough fight to come back to. Ortega's been out, <sighs> injured a bunch, hasn't fought since he lost to Max. He's had a bunch of like real problematic injury. injuries that he can't get, get over. And then finally he's healthy now. He's going through training. And, you know, tall order, though, to jump right back in the deep end of the pool with a guy like Zabit. But you know what though? Like sometimes it is a tall order, but sometimes like when you like when you just came from a big fight, that's the kind of fight it's easier to get up for. Mm -hmm. Like like if he like he just came from title uh, challenging for the title, right? It'd be hard for him to to take a too far of a step down in competition because then it's right. then it's gonna be hard to get himself up for it. But if he's taking a step, kind of like in 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 a you know in an upward motion, then it's like, okay, I can get up for this right. fight, and then he can train for it, you know? Yeah, because Zabit is, I don't know what the official ranking is. In my book, he's two or three, right? He's right yeah. there. He's right at the top of the heap. In my book, I mean, there's Volkanovski. He's the champ. There's Max Holloway. They have to fight again. They have to. They're going to fight again. And then after that, it's basically Zabit and Cater. Yeah. That, that's that's how I look at it. And then yeah. a bunch of other guys. Now that Aldo's down to 235, which is real interesting because Aldo is going to fight Triple C. He's going to fight Cejudo. 
That's interesting. Yes. That is interesting. For the title. That is interesting. Because Very interesting. I thought Aldo looked the best that he's looked in a long time at Fuck, 135. Yeah, he looked amazing. He looked like a bit like the Aldo, minus the kicks. He didn't, yes. he, minus the kicks. I wonder why he doesn't throw so many kicks anymore. I don't know, Do you man. think he has injuries or I something? I think he might have an injury. I think he don't want to take a chance of, of, of His hurting, knees. Yeah, hurting something and then having to fight through it, you know, fighting right. compromise. But it's crazy because his kicks were just such a devastating weapon. I mean, he'll only need like two or three of them and right. just change the whole complexion of the fight. One. Fuck. Oh, oh Like when he fought Uriah. Yeah, oh. but imagine now. Imagine that that power of leg kick to the lower calf, like mm -hmm. how they. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. Maybe as a knee thing. Maybe he yeah. can't throw those kicks because his knees are fucked up. I, I don't know. I'd like to know because that was one of his primary weapons. But still, even without that, I felt like he beat Marais. I felt like that was a bad decision. But he's you know he's fighting Marais, who's easily one of the best 35ers on easily, earth. Yeah. Morais is so good, man. That left high switch kick that he has is a thing of beauty. Yeah. The way he whips it, it's like a whip. It's crazy. Like it's effortless. It just goes to your head. Yeah, Marlon is, Marlon is pretty sick, man. He's beautiful. Is this Aldo throwing some kicks? Oh, okay. So Four days ago. Oh. Oh, uh, okay. It's practice, but. Hmm. Looks normal. Looks normal. It looks normal. I don't see any problems. Except the sound's all fucked up. <laughs> but see, it's different though. It's, it's it's different when you gotta crack of somebody's course. leg. You know? Yeah. Oh my gosh! It's. I, I think that. Um, I think honestly, when when it comes to you know the, the state of mixed martial arts, I think that you know once a lot of these fighters start to like, because I mean, we were speaking about it earlier, like we were in the dark ages when it came to training and that transition of how to become more professional with your training, you know? And yeah. I think nowadays fighters are starting to understand that more, you know, with the, you know, the performance Institute is helping to educate these fighters a lot more on what proper training should be yeah. and, and what it truly could encompass, you know, and now there's more professionalism added to martial arts, but there's right. still an aspect that needs to be covering and that's on the equipment side, you know, like, um, the equipment that I, the, the, the company that I work with Onyx, have you heard of Onyx yes, before? Yeah. yeah I yeah, have yeah. a pair of the gloves. Okay. Excellent. So, the excellent. Very, very good. So we have a whole line and this, the line that we have with Onyx, it's, it's, it's really the first MMA branded, like a f MMA company that's made for all the, the, the way we move in MMA, you know, everything that happens in MMA, because now the, the equipment that we use now, we borrow it from kickboxing or boxing. And there's that gap of, of just efficiency when it comes to manufacturing uh, for a mixed martial art, because they, they kickboxing, they don't have to worry about all the things that we have to worry about when it comes to uh, mixed martial arts. So the equipment that Trevor has made is all with that in mind. You know, the the gloves that we, we made, you try the X-Factor gloves. Yeah, Trevor Whitman sent them to me. Yeah. yeah. So, they, so he, did he design them? Yeah, he, he so Trevor Trevor's a genius. So he's, he's another genius. Oh my gosh, an absolute genius. So he started, so what, what happened is when we were trained, if anything happened to our equipment, we'd just give it to Trevor and Trevor would go and he'll tweak it and he'll, he'll make some adjustments. So then Trevor's like, man, you know, he, he's like, man, this, the more he started to do that, the more he started to realize there's a huge gap. Like the equipment that we're, we're using is not efficient. You know, some gloves that should be, you know, 16 ounces are actually 11 ounces, you know, and, and every, there's no integrity when it comes to uh, equipment. So Trevor mm. did a lot of research and he was like, man, there really hasn't been any improving on equipment since the 
thumb was put on the, the boxing glove, you know, mm. and, and that's, that's pretty much it. So Trevor went and um, he learned how to sew. He learned how to do everything. And he wow. was in his basement just making this equipment. You know, he's, um, he's made uh, the X Factor glove you have. There, look at him yeah, there. there you Trevor go. Whitman Make, sewing. Trevor Whitman. <laughs> and, and he's good at, like at first I didn't, I didn't realize how in depth it was until I went to his basement and seen the little shop that he had, but it's pretty high tech. So we have the the the, the glove, the X Factor glove, but we have um, a knee brace and we have a sh- um, a headgear too. What's up with too. the knee brace? Um, they're not the knee brace. It's the uh, knee sleeve. Knee sl- it's it's like it's like a knee. Sl- it's a it's a shin guard, but it slides into a knee brace. You, you can slide. You can slide. Mm-hmm. Your, it's like a knee brace at the same time, as well as an ankle brace. It, it secures a whole like whole leg pretty much. And it's it, it feels like you have nothing on, and you can kick with like anything, and it feels feel it doesn't feel like wow. it feels amazing. And he has a really really thin headgear, and uh, I want to show you these gloves. I brought some gloves to show you. Uh, so these gloves right here are what um, we're going to be doing. Uh, for the competition gloves, the competition and, and the training gloves, the seven ounce training gloves. Mm-hmm. So, pretty much what these are. So this one is the. Let's see here. So is he developed a different glove for MMA for competition as yes, well? Yes. Yeah. So this has is the, the UFC seen these because they yeah, need to make some adjustments. Clearly. Yeah, we're, we're talking with the UFC, but that? these are yeah. So these are so the ones. Curved. I like how yeah, it's curved. So curved. So it sets up that you are in a, a curved position. Already Early on, because when you, as you know, when you get the gloves now, they're like a cardboard. They want to open your hand. Yeah, almost. they always want to open your hands. Yeah. But this allows your hands to stay in a natural fist locked position, and you don't got to worry about that. Need some help getting it on? Yeah, big hands. Oh yeah. Okay, so it's curved right away. Yeah, curved yeah. right away. And then when you, that's way better. Yeah, like the old Pride gloves. Yeah. Yeah. Good padding, too. So it's... I like them a lot. These are definitely better than the ones UFC is using right now. I'll tell yeah. you that. Yeah. yeah the, so, so it's, you know, if you see the X-strapping system in there, that, that also goes in there. So then that way it makes it so that your... Um, your your hand, you don't get the boxing break on your hand. It keeps everything, all the muscles, all the mm. all the ligaments and and uh, bones in place. So that way, when you're punching, everything is is in form. So this is it says grappling glove, fight yeah, glove. Yes, grappling glove and fight glove. So these ones were the ones at the factory, and I had to hurry up and get these out just so I can. I wanted to show you these. So this one is is um this one is is going to be like the training the training one. But we're gonna put a different, a different uh, head on the front of it. What's gonna be different it. about it? It's gonna be just the, the the top is gonna be different, a little bit more, so you can punch with, like you can. Oh, hit it with the side. Hit it with the, the side. It'd be it'd be a little bit like. This has got some side padding. Yeah, but definitely it, better it, than it'd nothing. It'd be a side padding on like this, a little bit mm. more, you know. Okay. So, so it's gonna be a bit bigger, so w- that way right. you can hit like that and train it. Like casting punches, casting, like those. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I like these a lot. I like these a lot. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, I, this, but Trevor's whole thing, man, you know, it's all about making it so that fighters can do what they enjoy doing a lot longer and be healthy about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And he, he's, he, Trevor's, 
Trevor's a, a G when it comes to uh, adjusting and making what he needs to for the fighter, so they can the, so they can continue to do what they want to do. Um, he's adjust like he's made he's made headgears for people to so because one one of these fighters had a broken nose and he made a headgear and headgear that he made with this guy was, it, it was it was sick. I How does this work? This is weird because it's like both sides are male. Let's see here. Oh yeah, so this this is. Um, it goes. It goes, it goes on the inside. Yeah, it goes on the inside. How does that work? Yeah, it goes on the inside. I gotta see. Okay. Probably Let's some weird shit. You gotta talk to Trevor about. <laughs> Let me see. Or maybe Let it goes this way first. Oh, I bet that's exactly. Yeah. What it I bet it goes this way first. Yeah. So you can put. Yeah. That's that's exactly yeah. how it goes like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is exactly what it is. It goes yeah. Like so this. you can pull the strap on it. Yeah, and then the strap goes over. Okay, I see. And the strap goes over the top. These are great, man. Well, there's there's definitely room for improvement. The current state of MMA gloves, yeah. like the ones that UFC uses, they're they're better than the original ones that they had a few years back. You know, they improved them maybe eight or nine years ago or whatever it was. But still, those are better. Well, see, I mean, and, th and that's and that's where we are at Onyx. You know, we just want to be able to get a product out there for the athletes and that they can they can use but it protects them because a lot of a lot of the, the injuries like 75 percent of them happen in training sure you know and if we can kind of cut that number down then they can have a lot more of these fighters making these dates yeah and, and for the most part for these fighters you can actually you know for you, you can have gear that protects you and you don't got to suffer these long injuries like these ACLs. And, right. And, you know, it, it helped mitigate some of those things. You know? Well, you were a big part of the Black Zillions getting started. Yeah. And when you had that opportunity uh, as a guy who was a former world champion to go there and sort of get become a part of a team from the ground up, what did you try to do that was different than had you had seen in other camps that you had participated in? I wanted to make it just like a, um, you know, the, the biggest thing back then it was it was that there was, you always had to go to so many different places in order to just get that one thing. So I really wanted to just make it so that our guys didn't have a need to go anywhere else for anything else. And that was the whole idea behind the whole Black Zillions. You know, we brought in all kinds of people from every different aspect from, you know, training to, to, uh, to nutrition, almost every aspect of it. And, um, that's what we wanted to provide our athletes with just like the total, the total game. So they really didn't have to do anything or worry about anything except for showing up the train. And, um, it worked for a while. It worked for a while, but, but it's uh it's a hard thing to maintain because that's in a very, very expensive thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. And, well, Glenn, the guy who yeah. put up the cash, I mean, I had heard some outlandish figures that he had uh, was in the hole for that place for by the time everything was up and running. Yeah, yeah, it was um it it was a pretty it was a pretty pretty hefty ticket, man. It was a pretty hefty ticket mm -hmm. and it was uh it it was it was an expense that um it it did get out of hand. It did get out I'm of sure. hand. I'm sure. Yeah, he um he and, and and here's and here's the thing about it. Like even even his situation, you know, he got himself in a situation where he was doing so much for people. It just became a thing that people expected out of him. Mm -hmm. And then when he wasn't able to do it anymore, then it was kind of like you know people were like, oh man, this guy isn't this and he wasn't that. But right. he just he just wanted to do so much and had an idea to want to do 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 things on another level. But at the same time, you know the the finances of of doing it was a massive undertaking. I'm sure. I mean, 
all credit to Dan Lambert because Dan Lambert uh, he's been doing this from the beginning. Yeah, that fucking guy. I mean, he is the reason why these super camps got started. Yeah, Dan Lambert absolutely. put his own money, and then the new ATT they built. He built himself from the ground up. Built the whole fucking building. And, you know, I've, I've, I haven't seen it in person. I have friends that have gone to visit it, but I've seen it in videos. And it's, holy shit. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. I went inside of it. Dan's man. the man. Yeah, Dan. He really is. Dan, Dan is a good guy, man. Um, you know, after the whole thing with the black zillions, you know, him and I got got to have a chance to spend some time together and just and just, and just talk, you know. Right. And, there was so much weird animosity. It, it was weird. And then the UFC put that show together. Yeah, it's like I inherited beef with people that I didn't even know. <laughs> I, I, I didn't even say hello to them, you know what I'm saying? That's and, so crazy. And I just inherited this beef, and Ugh. I was like, you know, it, it's silly. And especially since the fact that ATT is like literally right down the street from my house. It would be right. closer to go there than anywhere else, but... It was weird for a while, but actually talking to Dan and actually getting to know him, and you know, it, it was um, it, it was it was a good it was a good thing because uh, you know I got I got to get a lot of respect for mm-hmm. for him and just for what he's done with American Top Team and ATT in general. No, he's a he's a brilliant guy. I'm, I love that guy as a person. I'm a big fan of his. I just love that a person like that, like Dan Lambert, can literally change the course of MMA by setting an example. Yeah. And by having a gym that sets an example that's such a, an insanely high level. So big, so many world-class fighters there, so much strength and conditioning, everything under one roof, dorms, everything. Well, see, I think that was a that was thing that, that kind of, you know... <laughs> That that kind of pushed things uh, in that in that position for Glenn, you know, because right, he had he, to keep up. He had to keep up, or he was trying to outdo. Yes. he was trying to do uh, Dan Lambert. I always wanted to do something that Dan wasn't doing, you know. Good so, luck with that. Yeah, and that, <laughs> it's a good way to go broke. That's man. a good. That's a good way to to spend a lot of money. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot of super camps out there now. It's interesting to see these places. You have TriStar in Montreal. You have, you know, uh, Duke Rufus in Milwaukee. You have Jackson Winklejohn in Albuquerque. You got AKA. You know, it's uh, when you first started, there was not that many places. No, nah, there really wasn't. And, and to even get what we wanted out of it, you know, we there's three gyms that we can go through. We'll go to either Jackson's in Albuquerque, we'll go to TriStar in Montreal, or we'll go to Denver and we'll work with Trevor Whitman in Denver. So we had the three camps that we bounce around from and and um that's where we are go to get the most work. And it and it worked for a while. You know, it worked for a while for the most part, but just all that traveling, it just became hard to do. But that it, has to wear on you when you're in the middle of a camp and you're yeah, staying I, in hotels and yeah, it, it it does. Like um, like when I was in camp, I really wouldn't travel too much. But like when, so what we would do is that um, if if Nate Marquardt was in camp and he wanted to stay at home most of the time, so we'll stagger it where you know he'll have a tough guy in camp every single time. So I'll I'll be a couple weeks when George wasn't there or when Keith wasn't there, you know, and then sometimes we'll all come together. But for the most part. We just all rotate into these gyms, depending on who was fighting, and who needed the work. He's a guy that I feel is underappreciated. Nate Marquardt, when he was at the very oh, yeah. top of his game, was a fucking assassin. Oh, uh, Nate Marquardt was. Ooh, a- that knockout of Tyron Woodley and Strike Force to this day is one of the nastiest in tight elbow combination knockouts I think I've ever like a video game knockout yeah. see Nate crazy. Mar- Nate Marquardt was one of those guys. I'm like, oh man, you'll get anxiety before training and practice because you knew it was going to be a hard go like my training growing going growing up in the sport was just 
it was difficult, man. You know, training with GSP, Keith Jardine, Nate Marcourt, Joey Vila Senor, uh, Mike Van Arsdale. And, uh, you know, even Ali Abdelaziz was even up in the mix, too. But it was, you know, it was it was training with guys who like it was a hard go all the time, you mm. know. And, uh, and and Nate was one of those guys that I'm just like, oh, my gosh, this dude is not going to get tired. You know what I'm saying? He's good everywhere. He's super strong. It was just like one of those one of those. One of those, like, all right, I got to bring it in order to compete today. Yeah, he was in that. He he had this weird transition between the UFC and Strike Force, where people kind of forgot about him. Mm-hmm. And then when he came back to the UFC, you know, he had some real good fights, but he had already had a really long career. Yeah, he had already had some really tough fights, and then really tough fights in training too, right? Yeah, yeah, and that and that's the thing. Like back then, we we weren't really too <laughs> too smart, like. Greg would kill us in training. Like, we'd do some shit that you'd be like, oh, my gosh. Like, one time, Greg had us doing, like, some buddy carries. We're on the side of the Sandia Mountains, and there's, like, you know, it's, like, two or three feet, and you'll fall to, like, your death. And then we had to do, like, these buddy carries, these wedding carries where I'm holding Keith like this. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, and like this. You'll fall to your death, like, if you you make a mistake. You know, there wasn't much room for mistake. If I would have fell down, then we would have fell. But uh, you take, and we had to rotate every 60 steps. Fuck that. And Greg Greg was like, Greg was always on the like, you know, like mental, like, yo, you got to be ready to die. You got to be ready to face death. Let's let's get it. Seek death. Meanwhile, he's such a sweetie in the corner. I know. In the corner, he's, hey, how you doing, Rashad? Oh, my gosh. Things are looking great. He'll take us. That's why he does it, because he knows what he did you in training. Right. I can't imagine that buddy carries or wedding carry like that, and you're literally if you fall, you die. You, you die. both die. Yeah, and and then there was like one mm. little slip, and he's like, "All right, let's let's change things up. Go on his back." And I'm like, "What? Yeah, <laughs> fuck out of here, Greg. You go on his back, bitch. What are you doing? What are you talking about? Yeah, that's man. so crazy. It, it, it was crazy, man. But that was um that was a good time. Back this then, mental man. toughness training, huh? Yeah, that was a mental toughness training. Well, you yeah. guys, that Albuquerque team was always known for having crazy endurance. I mean, that, that had to come from some of that grit had to come from those hill workouts you yeah, guys would do. We had a lot of grit because of those, those workouts that we did. We did one where we do uh, the sand dunes. Mm, uh, it was the worst, man. You, you would cry like you had to carry somebody up doing the sand dunes. <sighs> and then if you didn't carry them all the way up, then you had to do it again until you compete until you completed it like you were like you were literally see grown ass men crying just like <laughs> i can't do no more that's a good way to get injured too though unfortunately yeah it's so, like there's this fine line between pushing really hard and fucking somebody up yes yes you know yeah I, th- I think now they've kind of figured it out but just the the mental aspect it paid off big dividends like now i'll talk to dana white and dana's like Bro, you were so fucking crazy back then. You were so paranoid. I'm like, I like your Dana White impression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, you were paranoid like, back then. I mean, I, I mean, I was a fighter, man. Fighters are always paranoid. You have to be paranoid if you're a fighter. You have to think that everybody's yeah. trying to take something from you, right? right it's right. just, it's just the mindset. But he'll say I was crazy. I was paranoid because I didn't really trust him back then. But I'm just. Uh, it, he's not, a promoter, right? And and then and then on top of that, you know, you had you had Greg 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 Jackson always telling you like you know that they want oh, they want to get you out of there, man. They want to get you out the UFC, man. Go ahead and just go ahead and just just quit, Evans. Just quit right now, man. I know you want to give up. They want to get you out of here anyways, man. 
Like, no, no, I ain't going to quit. And show him you're not going to quit. I don't want to see it. Let's go. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's, it, was, it was a good time over there. When man. you first started fighting, how much striking training had you done before you decided to compete in MMA? Because you had this wrestling yeah. base. Um, did you have any striking training growing up? Did you do any I did, boxing? I did some or? boxing. Yeah. And I did uh, some some karate too. I did mm -hmm. tank sudo. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did tank sudo for like a few years from the time I was like uh, thirteen to like sixteen. That makes sense because you always had good kicks. Yeah, yeah, like that Sean Salmon knockout. Yeah. Woo! But you know, I, I never I never utilized my kicks like I should have. And my mom will always be like every time. And Rashad, listen, Joe Rogan. <laughs> Joe, she always would say something that Joe Rogan said. Rashad, Joe Rogan said you need to pass the guard, Rashad. And I'm like, <laughs> mom, I don't even know what the shit is. The guard is talking. I need to pass the guard. Like what? Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's hilarious! When I fought Sean Salmon, she she's the one who told me to throw Rashad, throw your kicks like Bruce Lee, Rashad. <laughs> and then when I threw the kick oh and knocked him goodness. down, and the next day I talked to her on the phone. She said, "Rashad, that was a good kick." And I was like, oh, "Okay," she said, but I don't like that dirty shit though. And I was like. Mom, what you talking about? Rashad, you knew he was knocked out. You didn't have to hit him again. Oh, wow. And I'm like, Your Ma. Mom I'm said like, that. Ma, I can't, you can't tell. You just got to keep going. Like the, the referee say, don't stop until I stop you. And I was just in the fight. And she said, like, but still, Rashad, shit. <laughs> <laughs> that dirty shit. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Oh, I was kind of surprised that you were an head kicking more people unconscious after that you know I, th that's the thing man I, I needed i needed to really really step out of my game and make sure i stepped out of my game more and more often but i just you know after i switched switched things up and went and went from uh you know jackson's to to uh to florida it, it was different because mike winklejohn he was my guy like it, it was like me and mike winklejohn uh had a really good relationship and he would uh, he would work with me, all, and we and, and a lot of times we would work together. It was like it was like a, a, a counseling session. We would just talk about life, you know what I'm saying? In between mm. in between stuff, we talk about everything, and uh, it was a fun training session, you know. And and that's when you know he'll instill in me all these different things. You know, he'd be like, "Oh yeah, that that kick is gonna work. That kick is gonna work." You know, even with the overhand right when mm. I caught Chuck Liddell, he was telling me, "Oh yeah, that's the kick. That's the that's the punch that's gonna catch him. That's gonna catch him." That when I when I caught Chuck, the day before I was hitting that move because I was super nervous and I was hitting the overhand right and then left hook combination. And then you say, "Oh yeah, that that's 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 going to be the punch. You know, you're going to hit him with that, and you're going to knock him out, and and I'm not going to be able to get into the cage and congratulate you." That's what he said to me, word wow. for word. And I'm just like, "No way!" And then it happened. I looked at him. I was like, "Oh shit! It happened just like you said." That was like a gunshot. I remember that shot. I remember you landed that shot. The smack of your yeah. fist hitting Chuck, and then seeing Chuck crumble. I was like, "Holy shit!" Was that your most satisfying victory? Yeah, I think so. I, 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 it definitely was. Just because, like, going into that fight, Joe, like the the media sometimes can be so damn disrespectful. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. they were just kind of like, the questioning was like, you know, what have you even done to fight a guy like Chuck Liddell? Like, I mean, people were asking you. Yeah, that? I mean, pretty much in so many words. Like, you know, what have I even? But done you had already even? at that point in time, 
had you fought for the title? No. Bef- that was before you no, fought before for the I title. Fought, yeah, before I fought for the title. And I just, you, it was the fight before, the fight before, right? The fight before, yeah. I only got a chance to fight for the title because I beat Chuck Liddell. Chuck oh. Liddell was supposed to fight for the title. That I was a serve up to fight for the title. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was that was a serve up. Well, the media was a little sloppy back then. Yeah. So so they there's were, some really good guys out there now and gals that are covering MMA where they're real journalists. They really are like right. real sports journalists. But back then it was like anybody <sighs> with a camera who liked fights. Well, there's also a lot of people that were trying to get attention just by being douchey. Yeah. There was a lot of douchey sports guy talk. Yeah. I fucking hate that stuff. That that was driving me crazy. Yeah. They'd be real disrespectful to fighters, real dismissive of fighters. So going into the fight, I, I felt that disrespect, and I was like, you know what, man? All right, I'm like, I don't care what happens. I'm like, this, like, I, I got, I gotta at least, at least give a good showing for myself, you know. Mm. And, and that's and that's all I really cared about doing. You know, I went out, I, I walked out to the song. Um, Immortal Technique is called. Uh, That's my boy. Of, yeah, Immortal Technique. I love that dude. Yeah, he's he's beast, my friend. Man. Oh yeah, 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 he's cool, man. I love him. Yeah, I came out to the song uh, "Point of No Return," mm. and and that song just really solidified everything I was feeling at that moment. You know, like like it. You know, there's a verse in there that says, "You know, w- the place that I'm from doesn't exist anymore." And I knew after I walked out to that fight, you know, I, life would never be the same, mm. whether I won or lost. So that was the big moment. That for was you. the big moment. There was no. The, I, I was not going to be the same Rashad after that fight, no matter what happened. A moral technique has such great lyrics. Man. Oh my he's so smart, so smart. smart, dude. Just, I'm mean, so politically aware, yeah. geopolitically aware. It's he's got crazy. so much depth to his lyrics. I love that dude. Yeah, he's he's like one of those guys you listen to and you just kind of keep putting it back. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He like, just say, oh did shit, he just say that shit. He's got a lot of oh shit lyrics. Yeah, like, like oh shit. A lot of things that he says, you know, you go and you re- look it up afterwards. Like okay, you know, yeah. he he definitely had me uh, looking up some things after I listened to him. Dude, you fought, won the Ultimate Fighter as a heavyweight, which is so crazy. I know, because you know? if you look at me now, I'm like a, what do you like weigh a now, about? fighter. <laughs> yeah, what do you weigh now? What are you walking around? I'm at? consisting like 200. 200 pounds? 200 pounds. Yeah. Wow. 200 yeah, that pounds. is like a 170 now yeah. in this day and age. Yeah, 200, 200 pounds. But I, feel, but I feel good, though, man. I, I feel really, really good. And um, it's, it's a level that I, I didn't expect. To, I didn't expect to feel this good. I didn't think that a diet can make me feel this good. What is, what is particularly makes you feel so good? In what way? Um, my energy. I have an energy level that I, it's really hard to to say. It kind of feels uh, a bit supernatural in, in a bit, you know? Like I feel I feel energy. Like I feel I feel like my body's energy. It feels it's kind of hard to say. It's kind of mm. like not not hard to say. It's kind of hard to describe without looking crazy. <laughs> But well, you're obviously by following this vegan diet. I'm, I'm seeing all these supplements you're taking, spirulina, and all these different things. Yeah, you're obviously doing it right, which is you know, there's a lot of people that they're they're vegan, but they're eating like pasta and pizza yeah. and shit like that. They're just not they're not doing it correctly in terms of taking in the proper amount of nutrients. Right, and that's and that's the thing about it. Like I um, I read this book, The Mucusless Diet, and it's by uh, Dr. Arnold Errett. And this is like in the early 1900s, he came up with this book and he had uh, some stomach issues. And it was, you know, not until he 
was fed up and was on like you know what I'm like he was starving himself and then he realized he had some really you know uh it kind of changes his his stomach situation so then he started looking into diet and nutrition and then he um he became a fruitarian hmm. and this book is talking about pretty much you know the role of food in your body and and what it does and what causes mucus and what doesn't cause mucus and um you know, through understanding the mucus's diet and just reading it, it just gave me a different hold on understanding, like a different understanding of the of why I'm doing this. You know, and and it came, it became to me deeper than just like, oh, I can't have this because you know the diet says I shouldn't have it. It says I can't have it because you know this is going to cause inflammation. You know, I I I know the deeper reason of why, so mm. it's easier for me to avoid the pitfalls of bad food. You know. Mm. There's also a, a situation with people where there's everyone there's biological variability where some people some diets just sync up well for them. Mm-hmm. Like yes, I know yes. I know a lot of people that they don't feel good when they eat red meat. When they eat fish, they feel great. Yeah. When they eat light foods, you know their their body yeah. whatever for whatever it is their digestion favors certain type of diet. Yeah, and that, that's what I found too because um uh. I don't I don't know if this will work for everybody. It probably won't work for everybody. I mean it, it most likely won't work for everybody, but for me, uh it was it was something that my body just was like, ah, oh, it's about time you started to start to treat us the mm, right way. You know interesting. And the crazy part about it is the fact that now I train less, but I can train harder. Like now I can do sparring sessions where like I spar for like an hour straight. Really? Yeah, and I'm and I'm and I'm sparring at a pretty good pace. Like I'm not um, like like it's it's smart sparring. Like we're not like bashing each other in the head and shit like right. that. We just we're 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 being smart about it. You know, we're doing um, you know, a little bit lighter to the head, but more more heavy shots to the body. You mm-hmm. know, making those ones count. Um, and just kind of like touching. You know, giving a, a nice shot to the head, but not a like a I'm gonna knock you out right, type shot right. to the head. What type of foods are you eating? Like how are you? What is it? Like give me a typical meal for you. Um, typically speaking, uh, it all depends on the time of the day, but, but I don't eat in the morning. I fast up until noon or until like one o'clock. And then my first meal. Are you on like a 16 hour, 14 hour intermittent fast? Like 16, uh, intermittent fast. And then, um, once I eat, I usually eat like, uh, like I'll come home and I'll eat, you know, maybe like a, a hearty, hearty shake that I make of fruit. And then I'll put some, um, you know, some some mushrooms and stuff in it, and just like, uh, you know, the cordyceps, the the lion's mane, mm. and you know, from this uh, brand Life Cycle. Sure. You, you okay. heard of Life Cycle yeah. with mm-hmm. a K. So that brand right there makes this, you know, really good tincture that you just drop it in there, and you don't got to worry about changing the flavor of too much of of your shake. So I drop that in there mm. with my shakes and stuff like that, and. Um, I usually take that. That'll be my first meal. Then the second one would be a little bit more hearty. It'd be something with vegetables and maybe some potatoes or something. So it's a little bit more hearty. And then I'll have another hearty uh, meal, like a vegetable type meal, vegetable based meal, at nighttime. And then um, then I'll usually be done for the day. Are you uh, using any protein powders, pea protein, hemp protein, anything along those lines? No, I don't. I don't use any. Just protein vegetables, powder. raw vegetables. Yeah, just raw vegetables. Raw mm. vegetables and fruit. Interesting. Yeah, and and I don't and I don't really feel like I uh, like I have it like I have a need for it. like I, I feel like um, 
my muscle mass is, is pretty good. Like I don't feel like I'm I'm too skinny or, or like I don't I'm not gaining any muscle. I feel like I can gain muscle. And uh you know, it, it's it's just been working for me and So basically you just eat to feel good, like however it makes you feel good. Yeah, however right. And you've got it down now. You know yeah. like what kind of foods. It's um the the supplement thing gets strange with vegans. You know, there's a lot of folks that they're mixing a lot of different dietary yeasts and a lot of different powders and different things and blending these different things and it's uh some people don't like the way that feels when you're you're eating like that. But it yeah. sounds like what you're eating is much more whole food based. Yeah, my, mine is just whole food based. Like a lot of the foods that I, I became actually a good cook now because of the fact that I had to learn to cook my own food. Uh, my wife, she was, she was busy uh, becoming, you know, busy on her own, doing her own thing. So she wasn't able to cook for me like she was before. But then I, I learned myself. And uh, through learning myself, it just completely just like took the shackles off of off of me. You know mm, what I'm saying? Right. You so cook now, your own nice I, meals. Yeah. So now I um, I cook a lot of like West Indian type of foods because they have a really good oh, okay. vegetarian uh, menu. Like a lot of chickpeas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and things of that nature. There's like a it. really good vegetarian Indian place around here that See, I go to sometimes. I love, I love Indian food. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. I haven't gone in a month because I've been on this carnivore diet, but this uh, this place was fantastic. Real interesting, weird, you know, vegetable dishes. Everything's vegetarian. You know, it's uh, I guess it's uh, with them, it's a religious thing. A lot of uh, a lot of Indians are vegetarian. Yeah, vegetarian. Yeah. And that, and that's and I like a lot of Indian food just because of that. You know, mm-hmm. and um, that whole food diet is just. It just works for me, but like, um, like you said, like these supplements, like this, this makes me like I feel like when I drink this, like the spirulina, and just mm-hmm. eat a lot of greens, and uh, even even like the mushrooms, you know, the cordyceps mushrooms and stuff like that. Like I just have energy to just go and go and go. Is that lifestyle cycle tincture? Somebody gave me some of that. Yeah, recently. yeah. It's so very like, good. I, I gotta have them send you some. I gotta have yeah. them send you some. They they send like they have like a a really nice tincture set that they send out. I should have bring it, but. Um, it it has like, like it has um, uh, reishi. It has turkey's tail, mm. lion's mane, uh, the cordyceps, and and it even gives you you know a schedule on, on when you should take it and when when it's best for. But it's um it's a really really good good mushrooms because you know they 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 put they infuse theirs with this uh is 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 cockadoo. Plum, it's a cockadoo plum. You ever hear of that? <laughs> no, it's a funny name. Yeah, I know. It's, it's cockadoo plum is from uh, Australia, and it's it's like one of the most high uh, high in vitamin C fruits there there is. Like it's way higher in vitamin C than oranges and everything else like that. And they cockadoo infuse, plum. Yeah, huh. cockadoo plum. Okay. Yeah, K A K A. D-U plum. That sounds like something that a little kid <laughs> right now. <laughs> That's a cockadoo plant. Yeah. Dad. What? But that's. I mean, they um. It's it's a really really good supplement, and uh, I don't really like to recommend supplements too much. But that's one that I I take, and I'm like, man, I feel I feel way better off. Do you eat a lot of beets? I do. I do eat. I I do eat beets. Are really good. Beets are supposed to be really good for endurance. Yeah, beets are yeah. really good. But it's it's crazy. Like just eating greens, like I've been eating greens. I just don't. I, I feel like I don't get tired like I used to. Like my body's just instantly recovering like what was your old diet like what would you, what was it like when you're training for a fight what would be, typical meals be like um it was pretty clean but it, it was uh I, I would eat a lot of meat i would eat a lot of meat and and uh i'm o positive so i'll eat like a lot of red meat and i felt really good when i ate red meat like it felt as if like when i eat red meat it almost felt like 
I can feel it like within like the next 20, 30 minutes, like my body breaks mm. it down really fast, you know? Yeah. So I felt, I felt good eating it, but I didn't feel like I, I had the, uh, like the endurance. Like I, I didn't feel the endurance aspect like I do right now, mm. you know? I see what you're saying. So that, that's been a, like the best that I ever felt was when I um, fought Tito Ortiz. I was eating, I was eating red meat, but I also was coupling that up with uh, a lot of spinach. I was eating a mm. lot of spinach. Like I would go Fucking and get Popeye. a yeah, get a big bag of spinach. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. I get a big bag of spinach and I'll just put it in a blender and just grind it up and then throw like some apples in it to make it a little bit sweeter to change the taste so it wouldn't be so so greenish like right. I mean grass. Right. And then I would just drink those all the time, but it just made me feel so strong. Interesting. Interesting. Now, did you used to work with the nutritionist at all? I did. Yeah, I I did. I worked with um because when you were cutting weight, like, how many fights did you have at 85? Uh, two. Two, two. fights at 85. Was that yeah. too much of a struggle? Yeah, it was too much of a struggle. Like, I'm, I'm in a weird position because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a very big person. I'm not big enough to be a light heavyweight, but I'm right. not small enough to be a middleweight either. Like, and feel mm. like I can, you know, like, uh, so I was like in that weird, weird space. So when I cut down to 185, I felt like it felt drained. Be- drained. I just didn't have the the movement and the pop, you know, but then mm-hmm. at 205, I kind of felt undersized, you know? Back, back then, what did you walk around at? Back then, I was walking around around like 225, 230. And what was different? Because it was from eating the meat? You yeah, think? from eating yeah. the meat. From eating the meat, I, I would get... That alone that has big. got to probably imp- increase your endurance, just the loss of that much body mass. Yeah. 20 plus pounds that your body doesn't have to pump blood through. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right about that, you know. Yeah, so that just came off naturally when you stopped eating meat. Yep. And and, and another thing, too, like I would, I would um, you know, this is another reason why, like, because when I wasn't fighting, that was the problem because I, I would get into these bad eating habits because I would always know that when I had training camp, I can just cut the weight and just right. lose it like that. But uh, after a while, that just becomes your habit. Anything you do over time, that becomes your habit. It becomes your lifestyle. And I was eating a lot of sugar, drinking mm. a lot of booze and shit mm. like that. So I was like, man, I need to make a change for my life, for the rest of my life, you know? Right. And that's why this whole lifestyle fits so much better in me, you know? Do you think that would have changed your career had you eaten this way back when you were competing? I think so. I think it would have. But at the same time, I don't. I don't know... In which way? You know right. what I'm saying? I it feel like too chill. Yeah, yeah. I feel <laughs> like, I feel like you're so calm now. Yeah, I feel like I, I, I was I was what I needed to be mm, at the time I needed right. to be it, you know? I see. Yeah. And I feel like um there are some aspects of, of my of my awareness because that's that's what it, what I would call it more than anything. I, I hate to say, Oh, I'm woke now because I hate that whole woke thing. But I feel I Real feel, woke is great. Yeah, but real woke. But real, you know what it is? The problem is people could take it too far, and then really it's about getting other people to comply with your right. idea of wokeness, yeah, w- w- woke and then is. it becomes almost like a religion. Yeah, you just want want people to comply with to your you. ideas about how to speak and how right. to talk and how to live, and exactly, you just become a dictator, a little exactly. woke dictator. <laughs> That's exactly. what it is. But and, the and, idea of like being woke, meaning aware, you're you're spiritually right. cognizant of your effect on people, the life that you live, and that's all beautiful. It's great. The problem is it gets abused because 
people want to pretend that they have virtue. So they adopt this woke pattern and then they try to force it on other yes. people. And then they're fucking annoying. And then it pisses other people off that may be like inclined to think that maybe it's good to be kinder, be good to be more open. And then they hear those fucks and they're like, fuck these people. It, I'm going to vote for Trump again. Yeah. And that's I, what happens. I, 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 I hear that. <laughs> I definitely hear that. I hear that because that's what... Um, that's how I would I would say it. Like for me, it was more or less just awareness of of myself, and I didn't really I was aware of myself, but I didn't really have the awareness. Like I didn't like how do I? It's it's almost to the point where I'm just more cognizant of every single choice that I make, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. and and just um, and that's something I really didn't didn't care about or really didn't think about before, you know, and just that awareness right there, it, it, uh, it brings a whole new different understanding of life. But I, I was, I was like that person when I first woke, I'm just like, Oh man, why ain't this person woke? And I wanted to wake up everybody. <laughs> and it was, yeah. it was the most frustrating thing in the world. And that's why I was like, you know what? I, I just, I won't do it, man. Isn't I don't... that what always happens when people find something interesting? Like that's what happens when people start doing CrossFit. It happens when people start doing jujitsu. They just can't shut the fuck mm -hmm. up about it. And it happens when people take on, you know, a new spiritual philosophy. Yeah. They they want everybody to understand how they're doing it and that you should do it this way too. When people believe in what they're doing, they want to they, they want to share it, but they also want other people to do it too because if I can convince you to live my way, then it validates the way right, I'm living. Right. Cuz yeah, look, I got look, so Rashad's woke too now. Why don't you be woke? Right. And then, yeah. you know, and then you start just trying to spread it. But I think that I mean everybody has their own awakening, you mm -hmm. know, and and if some people may not have that in this life, you know, yeah. they may never they may never have that that awakening but some people are burdened by their environment as well right there's too much yes. stress and anxiety and well, you can't even see yeah, it sometimes and, and, you don't have space and that's why i even give a nod to the psychedelics in that respect when when if you don't have the ability to have that mental space there is something that can help have you have that you know that insight that somebody who was who was doing all the meditation because all you really need to do is feel it to understand why you need to do it. Yes. And and that's yeah. why I was I'm lucky that I was able to feel it. So now it's nothing for me to meditate and and go through all these, you know, spiritual practices because I know that is something real. But beforehand, I was like, man, that shit is not real. Like, <laughs> I don't believe that, man. Like, right, oh yeah, right. you feel an energy, huh? Like yeah. I I mean, I, I used to I used to be one of those guys, but until I and I went through it, I'm just like you know, yeah. you don't have that understanding. Well, it's hard to see the result. You kind of have to trust the process. It's hard to see the result before you've experienced it. You kind of have to trust the process, go through it. Then something for me, for me, a big one is yoga. I'm I'm a big believer in yoga and not just for physical reasons, for mental reasons. It helps me tremendously. And when I don't do it, I'm good. I'm good. Like legitimately, I should do yoga twice a week because I'm really only good for about three days after yoga class. Like I need to to just really balance out. If I was doing it three times a week, there's not a thing in the world that could fuck with me. Yeah. Inter mentally, I'd be like, I'm fine. See, what, see fine. I I I've done I've done the the Bikrams yoga mm -hmm. and that shit was just so hot. I yes. really couldn't. I really couldn't focus. That's the key, though. I know. But that's see, that's but I wasn't where true. I wasn't where I am right now. You should so, do it now. So tell me. So tell me, like, like when you you go to Bikram, oh, is that yeah. what you do? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Well, my my place is not affiliated with Beaker anymore. Okay, because he's uh, yeah got arrested for some scumbaggery. He's he's <laughs> he's actually been arrested. I don't think he can come to America. I think Dang. that's the thing. I think he's got to like stay in hiding. Um, that the guru thing life. about it, that guru life, that's the problem. <laughs> that it, that is a problem. It's really it is, is a problem when any one person has that much influence over so many people, particularly yeah. a male having so much influence over females oh, that worship him, especially if you're a scumbag. And uh, he, he, there's a thing about this. He did not invent those postures, and he didn't even invent that sequence. He brought it to America, and he popularized doing it in, in, in very hot rooms. Uh, the benefits, though, forget him. Take him out of the equation, because there's so many people that practice it, and they've had incredible benefits from it. It's, it's really unfortunate that it's connected to this very controversial individual because then people associate Bikram Yoga with this guy that's been, you know, uh, accused of multiple sexual assaults and rapes and all these different things. But you take that away from him as a human being and the people that practice it, what they get from it. First of all, you know exactly what you're going to do every day. There's 26 postures and two breathing exercises. One breathing exercise in the beginning, 26 postures, one breathing exercise at the end. It's 90 minutes. It's 90 minutes at 105 degrees. And it's fucking brutal. And I did it right before I got here. Mm. I do it, uh, I like to do it in the mornings, first thing in the morning. I do it before I've eaten anything. I go through a 90 minute yoga class. I really like doing it that way. And then at the end of the day, I have a couple different places that I do it at. I like to mix it up. But that hot yoga for me is the way to go because First of all, uh, it's I know the postures. They all they all serve a purpose in terms of like helping my body, helping my balance, mm. st- keeping my flexibility, strengthening my joints. There's so many really positive uh, physical benefits from it. And then two, the meditation aspect of it, because no matter what kind of bullshit I have going on in my life, if I just breathe and think about the exercise and then, you know, my brain starts racing and I'll forget what I'm doing and I'll start thinking about other shit, but I bring it back, bring it back, bring it back, breathe, just breathe. You're not going anywhere for 90 minutes. You're locked in this room. Literally the door's locked when the class starts. So I am just breathing and going through these. And I know that I can get through it because I've done it a thousand times before. Just breathe and get through it. And there's a cleansing of like all the, the, your brain, there's like residual, there's residue of like shitty thoughts bouncing around inside your brain. Anxieties and fears and regrets and anger and frustration and all this shit that's in your head that just gets in the way of clear thinking. It Mm -hmm. gets in the way of being able to see things in an objective, beneficial way. And to be able to see things the way other people see them as well. Like sometimes I, uh, you know, I have this issue, and I think a lot of people do, that I don't see how other people are seeing things. I see how I see, I see things. Right. And then I go, well, okay, well, let, me, let me look at it from their way. Let me just abandon, oh, no, no, well, they're fucking wrong. That's wrong. Abandon all that shit and try to look at it from other people's ways. I feel like what yoga does for me is it allows me to be free. It allows me to clean up all my preconceived notions and clean out all my misconceptions and just see things see things for how they are and i always feel better always see i gotta try that oh it's the best especially now that you're on this uh vegan diet i'm telling you you're on that path anyway the the, the yoga is it's just so good for straightening your fucking head out man i always wanted to try that kundalini yoga that's the shit that's supposed to make you trip yeah I've had a bunch of friends do it. They say, I, my friend Denny, he's he's done it and had like serious, and he's done DMT too. He's like, dude, it's the same goddamn thing. That's what you he have said, full huh? blown visions. You have full blown psychedelic visions. Yeah. See, that's the thing. Like, it, 
like when I like when I do like uh, the DMT, I don't have like I don't have a. It's weird. I don't have like those visions. Those visions. Okay, no, that's no. because you're doing five methoxy dimethyltryptamine. The visions come from NN dimethyltryptamine. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally different thing. I've, I've done, done both. I've done that. I've done that before. That you've NN. done NN. Yeah, done and you have NN. no visions. Um, no, I I, I have visions. But it's kind of like uh, it's just like silly things though. Sometimes like I like I, I've seen <clears throat> like one time I did it. I've seen like this half like it was like a. I, I I awake and I'm in a place and I'm just with uh, these three massive beings like tall as a building and they were like half human and they were half snake and like I had a snake from the waist down and that had and they were human from the waist up but had like a snake face. Whoa. Yeah, and, and that's that was one of the the visions that I had. What do you think that represented? I don't know, but it, it was a weird because during that experience it was like. They were all like I was. All three of them were staring at me, and I, and they were looking down. And then one of them reached for me, and then I started going up, and then I started going around their body, and then I went around the body, and then as I was going around the body, every once in a while I would see the face of 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 it, and it would like open up like a cobra, and then it would close. But it wasn't scary. It wasn't terrifying. And I went all the way up Whoa. the body, and it was like I was able to see. From another angle, like me up in the body, and and then it like opened me up like a, like a, like a, a flower or something like that. It was weird, and then my trip went like super super fast. So you definitely have had visions. Yeah, I just can't can't quite make out like what it. What's it supposed to be? Yeah, what's it supposed I to be? I had a it's bunch of jokers giving me the finger the last time. A bunch of uh, jesters, like see, court I never jesters. See nothing like that, man. It was ridiculous. They were all like, machine. Fuck, "Fuck, fuck, fuck you!" All like, like circling me, like infinite oh numbers my of. Gosh. It, basically, the feeling that I got was like, "Oh, I take myself too seriously," and these these jesters were just going, "Fuck you!" Like you don't like that. You don't like when someone goes, "Fuck you!" No, so they were going, "Fuck, fuck, 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 fuck you!" And there was like, but they weren't saying the words, but they were definitely giving me yeah. the finger. But there was like an infinite number of jesters surrounding me going like giving me like this vibrating finger it was and i was like oh but but it was clear what they were saying like hey bitch you take yourself too seriously and then i was like oh you're right you're right and once i would say you're right they're like nodding at me like "Mm mm-hmm Okay. Uh, okay. See, that's you what I like. It. I like to be able to work. Like that's work. Yeah, that's work right there. Like you yes. went, you went, and you worked yeah. through something. You know. Yes. Yes. Which I think when you work too hard at something, and you're trying to achieve something, like oftentimes you think very highly of yourself. Like that's you. Like I should. You know, my Netflix special is gonna be the shit. I'm gonna. This is gonna be the best one I've ever done. I'm gonna fucking show everybody how good this is. And and they were like, fuck, 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 fuck you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, all right, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I was like, you're up. right. This is silly. That's like I'm. I'm just alive for a certain amount of time, and I shouldn't think that way. I mean, I, there's part of you that gets trapped in thinking that way because you're trying to do something, but you don't have to think that way to do the thing. Right. You know. It's yeah, a, I, I so so that's the thing. Like um, like those visions and being able to like when I did ayahuasca, I didn't have any visions, man. I didn't have anything. Like I, I had I had a I got into a pretty uh pretty good space, but I wasn't like I didn't have like the typical teaching lessons everybody else has when they do something. That like seems that. like you probably didn't get a strong enough dose. No, I well I did, you I know? did um, I did three large two large cups. The thing is. 
with that, and I'm speaking just from people talking to me about it because I've only done the pure DMT. I haven't done the ayahuasca. Oh, you haven't done the ayahuasca. People say that a lot of these people that are making it, they're not make either they're not making it correctly or they're making a light dose because they're worried about gringos going crazy and you know and they don't yeah. want to be responsible for that shit. So I know people that have gone and they've had these experiences where they've done it with uh, someone in America or someone who's done through a more commercial sort of organization and it wasn't really that strong or profound and then they went and did it with someone who's real, someone who's making some fucking super high grade, you know, 97 octane shit. And they're like, oh, fuck. That's what I need because I feel like after that I felt like... Like damn, I must be I must be broke, man. I'm like, <laughs> like I'm like I must be I must be I must be broken. Like I can't no. like I can't even feel the 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 damn ayahuasca. Mm. But it 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 um it was it brought like it didn't it didn't give me the experience I I wanted, but it gave me the experience that I needed. Mm. You know, and that's and that's something that I I got after I was like over the disappointment of it. I was like, you know what, I didn't get what I wanted, but. I definitely got what I needed, you know, because whenever you sit in a circle and stuff like that, it's always an amazing cathartic thing where you just kind of just like shed and just go through those emotions. Mm. Uh, just watching other people just be so raw with their emotions and just kind of feeling that, you know, just, just through symbiosis, you kind of like start to feel like the work come through you, you know, that's, that's how I felt anyways. Now, are you working a lot with fighters now? Are you working with young fighters? Are you doing it in any official capacity or are you just doing it because you're at the gym? Um, I, I, I just do, I just train cause I'm at the gym, but I like to, uh, I like to train with the guys when I'm in there because I go, I go, uh, I can go at a good pace and I don't, I don't mind if they, they hit me up a little bit, you know, and I, and I will give them a look that some of, some of the training partners, you know, mm-hmm won't give them uh so yeah i i i enjoy that aspect of it but i haven't been like oh you know i'm gonna i'm gonna come in here i haven't dedicated myself to someone's full camp you know one of the reasons why i say this because a lot of people that i talk to that have trained with you and work with you one of the things they really like about you is your guidance is that you're a guy that they could sit down and talk to about things and you have a very learned and wise perspective and that could be, especially with, you know, you consider your successful career, that could be, like, very beneficial for young fighters coming up. And I just wanted to know, like, had you ever thought about becoming a trainer? Yeah, I, I think about it all the time. And, I, and I've, um, I work with some fighters now. Like, I have um, this team out in Michigan, uh, is Mercy, Team Mercy Lago, that, that old, my old coach, Joaquin Rodriguez. He's, like, the head guy there. But him and I work together, and we try to bring some of the fighters out and try to get them to, like, the bigger shows and stuff like that. But those fighters, you know, I work with a lot. You know, my godson uh, is, is one of those fighters there, Devin Smith, you know, and I, and I work with him and trying to get him to just, you know, not only fight at a certain level but mentally bring himself to a certain level, you know. And yeah. he's always hated because he's always like, man, you always try to be like like, like Yoda, try to give me a Yoda <laughs> lesson. I'm like, no, I'm not trying to be Yoda. I'm just trying to – I just want to tell you, you know. I hope you can. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. one time he hit me up, he was like um, – He's like, oh, man, I'm ready to come down. I'm ready to train. I'm like, okay, you ready to come and train? I'm like, all right, so have you been training? And he's like, no. And I'm like, hmm. And I'm like, so what makes you think it's going to be different if you come and train with me? I mean, you still have to train. And he's like, I better get to the gym, huh? (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the weirdest conversations I've ever had with people. They go, you know what, man? If I train, I think I'd be a fucking world champion. I'm like, okay, I don't even know where to start with that. Right. I don't even know what to say there. Okay. 
If I meditated, I think I could see through walls. <laughs> I'm not going to meditate, though. Like, what does that mean? That is, I know. People have weird ways of looking at themselves, you know, where they just decide they're special without putting in any work. You know, like they decide there's something about them that makes them different. Yeah. And they want that to be the case, but they don't want to work towards it. It's a weird trap that you see in young people where they just convince themselves there's something significant about them. You know, and that's a real problem with young guys that get into fighting that have a delusional perspective and they'll accept fights they shouldn't accept. Yeah. So they're like, I'll fight that motherfucker. That guy has 30 fights. You have one. <laughs> you, you Are you crazy? You know? But that, I think that I see that more with, with the kids and it's this next generation just because we're such a voyeuristic community. I mean, society now. Mm -hmm. And I think now people just see somebody like, oh, yeah, I can, I can do that, but not really realizing, like you said, all the, the guts that go into yes. what make them good at what they do well there's there's lessons that are out there if you just pay attention look here's a great lesson conor mcgregor versus floyd mayweather one guy has zero pro boxing matches one guy's the greatest of all time yeah and somehow or another they sold us on this thing and we all paid money me included and we watched this fight that was exactly how any that. expert would tell you it's going to go down <laughs> floyd's going to fuck him up <laughs> there's another one the maybe even more egregious one because at least conor mcgregor was a world champion combat sports athlete and a, a wicked fighter right there was a lion fight uh where they had lurdzilla do you know who lurdzilla is no nah, i don't know who it is Ooh, he's a motherfucker <laughs> this thai dude he's a motherfucker and he fought this dude with zero pro muay thai fights I think Lurdzilla has 300 Muay Thai oh fights, and he fought this dude and played with him and then head Killed kicked him. him into another dimension. But he, he head kicked him off the front leg, just whap, just and the, and the dude folded. It's a crazy how, it's a how crazy did the fight even get set up like that? That's I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I think maybe he had another opponent, and that opponent got injured and dropped out, and then this MMA fighter decided to try his hand at Muay Thai, so he jumped in there in a Muay Thai fight against oh arguably one of the greatest Muay Thai fighters alive. You should watch Lurdzilla's highlight reel. First of all, he's super elusive. He's an unusually elusive fighter. But he hit this motherfucker with a left high kick just off the front leg, just whipped it up off the front leg and caught him on the chin and <laughs> folded him. And I was like, that whoever said yes to that fight, whatever commission allowed that fight to take place, you guys should have to go to trial. Oh, yeah. Like someone should someone should sit down with you and go, How the fuck <laughs> did you allow this to take place? That's sad. That's, that sounds crazy as hell. Zero man. pro fights versus three hundred. I mean, maybe he didn't have three hundred, maybe he had two sixty four or some crazy shit like that. But, but he's Lurdzilla. I mean, Lurdzilla is a famous Muay Thai fighter. Oh, did you find it? Yeah, here it is. Oh, that's the dude after he got crumpled. But you go go before that. Go before that. So you could watch. I mean, oh. Lurdzilla's just fucking him up from the beginning. And credit to the dude for thinking he could take the fight and stepping up. But Lurdzilla basically just battered this you fucking guy. You can tell the look on his face he's just playing with him. Yes. Well, Lurdzilla's brilliant, man. Look oh at that. Oh, my gosh. Look at that. And that was one knockdown. He got I mean, up after that? Yeah, he, he knocked him out after that. He knocked him out. Watch his front leg. Teep, watch it. Smack. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Folds him. That's a complete, total mismatch. Like, if that dude was doing that and sparring to that guy, everyone would be mad at him. Everybody would be like, hey, man, this guy's not on your level. Don't fuck him up. Yeah. Like, take it light on him. Be nice. Look at this. Teep, smack. Oh, my gosh. Hands down. Not worried about shit. Playing with him. And the whole fight's like that. 
the whole, and Lurdzilla is a beast, man. He's fun to watch. He's that really damn kick was light and fast. Lightning fast. Wow. Off the tee. Tee. Off the tee. And then no wind up, no switch. Just, just cracks him in the face with it. Dude, that's he's crazy. brilliant. That guy's brilliant. But that's a crazy mismatch. So a guy could say, I'll fucking fight this guy. Someone needs to grab you and go, hey, man, no. No. Don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) You think you can hit the bag. You think you can hit hard. You think you can do all these things. You're about to get in there with a master, a guy who has mastered this one particularly brutal combat sport. Don't do that. It's, it's nothing. It's nothing worse than when you're in a match when you feel that damn outmatched by somebody. I was, uh, I was doing jujitsu and I think I was going with a Hodger Gracie, <laughs> and I always felt like I was doing pretty. I was like, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty all right. And then when I went with him, he was just on me, and I, and it was just like just toying with me you know what i'm saying like yeah. i felt like i couldn't make a, a right move and i'm just like man this sucks this is the worst <laughs> it's the worst and then he got on top of me and normally if i get on somebody like i can hold them down pretty well but it was just a different level and i'm just like wow this is- yeah those old school guys like haja gracie sal hubera uh, jandre uh, shandi uh hubero those guys have that pressure oh top gosh. game there's something about that old school jujitsu pressure yeah. game you know but Salo's a master at that you know shanji's a master at that uh, um rafael lovato's a master at that that smashing pressure game but hodger is not just a master at that he's also like his physical attributes he's so long so and tall long. yeah that that oh. That longness, and he know, and like and he's smush. He's got, he's got, uh, in the, like you know, that long leverage, that tall mm-hmm. strength. Oh yeah. Oh man, that tall kind of strength. It's a different kind of strength <laughs> with somebody long and tall and strong. Oh my gosh. Well, that's a big advantage John has. Yeah. You see, yes. John use that on people. Yeah. yeah. That long strength is the best grappling strength. It's like those those guys that have that. I feel like that body, that John Jones body, is a perfect body for MMA. Cause he's strong. He's yeah, tall. He's, strong with it. he's tall and thin, but he's also strong as fuck. Like he's muscled enough, but he also has that extra length. Yeah, and his legs are are, are perfect too. They're skinny at the. They go down and get really skinny, so they're really fast too. Yeah. I'm just watching him throw kicks. I'm like, man, he's just throwing those legs like it's effortless, you know? His calves are ridiculous. They don't even make sense. Like, no. how are those on your body? <laughs> right? How are those on your body? Uh, you look no. at his shoulders. His shoulders are massive. Then you got you know? And then they go down like, those little calves. Like, what? Ha- what's going on here? And he kicks the hell out of you with those little skinny legs, too. Crazy. And there hasn't been many people that have been able to exploit the fact those calves are so small. They haven't really been able to. No. You would think that, like, with everybody, this trend in calf kicks... Tiago Santos tried it. He hit him with some good ones for sure, but John figures it out eventually, and then he just starts checking them. Yep. He checked most of them against Dominic. Most of those low calf kicks, he checked. He checked them. How do he you just saw them coming. Well, how do you even check a lower leg kick? Because that's that, just that turned is... turned out. You know, turned out. Um, he just made it so that he was going shin to shin. Uh, they went shin yeah. to shin a lot. Yeah, I've seen that. It's seen real that. hard to check, though. And yeah, it's, it's really hard to check. It's also real hard to just take. You could take those thigh kicks if you're conditioned well, see, a little bit. And just and just like you said, like he had to make a choice to take it how he wanted it. But yes. he's still taking the shot. Right, he's still, he's still going shin to shin. Yeah, he's yeah. still going shin to shin. But, but they're it. both feeling it. That's the difference. They're both feeling it. When you yeah. get when you get the meaty part of that bone part, that's mm-hmm. when you hit that sciatic nerve, and that's yeah. when that's when you 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 shut down like Chandler did. The mm-hmm. key had no choice. Yep. His leg was like, nope, not Cejudo today. Too in the second fight with Mighty Mouse, yeah, his leg, his shut, leg down. shut down. 
yeah, your nerve just shuts off and your foot doesn't work. It's numb. It's, it's just numb. dangling. You feel it. yeah. you try to stand on it, your shit it's just gone. collapses. The Chandler fight, they were trying to tell him his leg's broken, and he's like, I'm fucking fine. Leave me alone. You know, and I, th- I think that fight should not have been stopped. I think if you, you got to give, but the referee should know and the doctor should know this is what happens yeah. if you just give it a few minutes to recover. It, it, it'll come if, back. If he can survive the onslaught during that time, his leg will come back. And I think in Chandler, it probably would have. And Cejudo, it did. Cejudo figured out how to just sort of chuck and jive with Mighty Mouse. And I don't think Mighty Mouse knew the extent that his leg was numb. But it, but it recovered. When you get hit like that, though, for a second, you're like, this motherfucker's cheating. Like, you feel like <laughs> <laughs> You feel it for a second. You feel like this motherfucker's cheating because it hurts so bad. Like, uh, and, it, and it's very rare to have something that hurts you immediately in MMA. Mm. Like, there's there's not many strikes that can hurt you immediately. Right. That's that's right. one of them that hurts you. That nerve pain. Yeah, you feel it immediately. Isn't it weird that that went on forever until Benson Henderson started doing it to people? Yeah. He was the first in MMA, in my opinion, at a high level to start chopping at those lower legs. Real low, real yeah. low, like right above the ankle. He fucked people up with that. He would kill people with those lower and, but legs. But now that is like, that is the move. Everybody's doing it now. It's a staple. It's funny how MMA does it, though. It mm-hmm. goes through all these cycles now. Yeah. And I think now people are really starting to find a home for those uh, those oblique kicks that John throws, yes. you know? Yes. The, the, the Winkle John camp. They're weird though because if you graze off, it leaves you in a weird place. Because mm-hmm. you you kind of your foot's turned outward and you can get hit with punches. You, you're yeah. in a weird punching range where you're not in a good stance to fire back. Right. Because your foot is sort of pronated outside. Yeah, pronated outside. It's um it's a great kick though. You know who fucking throws the shit out of that? Lorenz Larkin. Oh yeah. He throws that shit to the body. When he fought Neil Magny, he threw that oblique kick to the body. And I was He's, like, oh, my goodness. That motherfucking kick, though. He He's can kick, he good. Can, he can kick. When, he, when I'm watching good. him kick, I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. He's so fast, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So he, I was really interested to see how he was going to do over in Bellator. You know, and the, but then he, he had that crazy war with Paul Daly. You can't get in a war with Paul Daly. No. That dude's left hand is one of the best weapons in the sport, period. He got that one hitter. He got Woo! that heat. He has... That left hand's ridiculous. <laughs> it's crazy, right? It's crazy. It's, it's stupid. It's, it's stupid just to have yeah. that kind of power in his hands. There's like that. certain guys that just have that, like Rumble. Oh my God, Rumble! And now he's going to come back as a heavyweight. He said, "Yeah, and he, he he's looking good. He's in training. He's in training now." And Dude, that. Rumble versus Dominic Reyes. How about that? <sighs> How about crazy. that? that would be How crazy. about that? Rumble scares the fuck out of everybody. Like you might beat him, but you also might get knocked into another dimension. Because he yeah. he hits he hits like <sighs> like I like when I, I mean he's been my training partner for the longest time, and he knows like I'm like Rumble, you know don't don't hurt don't me, be, yeah don't be going crazy, <laughs> man. Oh, I ain't go you know I ain't go crazy, I ain't go crazy, and we we train we train smart, but. I mean, there's a couple of times he hit me. I'm like, man, I'm not your friend anymore. Don't <laughs> fucking talk to me. Don't you fucking talk to me. I told you don't hit me like that. Dude, when he knocked out Glover with one punch, I was like, holy shit. Oh you do that gosh. to Glover to Shara? I know. That's crazy. And, and, the, thing That's of, crazy. and the thing about his punches is like, you can't really gauge how, like, you don't know which one is going to be that right. shot because right. it kind of, yeah. they come at... He likes to moves his hands around a lot too while he's yeah, throwing punches. Yeah, so you don't know which one's going to be the one yeah. to touch you. Yeah, and they come from all angles. Here he is in shape now. He's been training with Hooft. He looks good. He looks gigantic. It's so hard to believe that, that guy was ever one seventy. I am I so baffled so by he, how the fuck he made that weight. So this is over at uh, the new gym, Stanford. Look at him, man. Just 
So what is the new gym called? It's called It's called Stanford. The team Sta- is called Stanford MMA now. Oh, okay. And who's uh who's running that? It's the same same people. It's is Henry Henry Hoof. Sanford. Yeah, Sanford. No T. Sanford yeah, MMA. Sanford. Yeah. And so it's all the Black Zillion guys? Yep, all the Black Zillion guys. Look at that. Rory and uh, Robbie Lawler training yeah. together there now. Yeah, Rory's, Rory's been there getting some work in the last couple weeks. How long has this gym been around for? Uh, man, this, so this is H Kickboxing. This oh, is, yeah, this is H okay. Kickboxing. It just has a different name. Yeah, just different name. So we just now moved into that gym on a more consistent basis. It looks beautiful. Yeah, I mean, they, they spent, uh, I think, like a couple million on it. it, it they... They spent some money on that gym. And this is in the same place as uh, the, where Not, the Black Zillions was, the same area? Same area, yeah. 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 So we had we had the Black Zillion gym, and then we went to a gym uh, that's that was at this um, this like amusement park for kids. It was like, it's called Extreme Action Park, mm-hmm. and that's where we had a section that we, we had there. And then they also added this gym too. So now they're going to have, they're going to keep that gym that at Extreme Action Park, but also keep this one. South Florida, man. What a hotbed for martial arts, right? It really is, man. So it's, much jujitsu down there. Oh, man. You can, I mean, yeah. you, you got Cyborg right yeah. down the street, and Cyborg is is amazing. And, you know, Mario Sperry, not too far down in, in Miami. What happened with Mario? Because Mario was the head coach for a while of the Black Zillions, right? And he was yeah. inspirational as fuck. Oh, Mario he was give the those best, speeches, man. and I was like, ooh, I get goosebumps. Yeah, Mario was the best. I just, I just think that him and, um, him and Glenn didn't, didn't work out when it came time to it, and, and all the work and chemistry together, you mm-hmm. know, because that that was a, that was the hardest thing because, you know, having all those different coaches and, and trying to not only have them get along with the fighters, but then have them get along with each other, and not mm. try to fight for that, you know, who's the main coach and who's the main guy, you know, and that's you know, right. coaches sometimes have bigger egos than the fighters, right? And um, sometimes it's more deadly because they they they're they're not accomplished and a lot of times they're they're coaching because they don't feel that accomplishment you know so mm. that coaching becomes that thing that they they want to be validated for right 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 and yeah. um you know but it's so hard to find that balance and the ones who find it they're so cherished the guys like mark henry the guys like trevor whitman mm-hmm. You know, I mean, those, those Faraz Ahabi, yes. Duke Rufus, those coaches that are like legit coaches that everybody loves, man. They're so yeah, cherished. They are, they're man. They're so they valuable are. because also for a fighter, like Trevor Whitman's holding pads for you. Like, holy fuck, I'm training with Trevor motherfucking Whitman. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's yeah. something to that. If you go to Montreal and you're in Faraz Ahabi's gym, you're like, holy shit, that is Faraz Ahabi talking to me. Absolutely, like, man. There's some power there's to that. power. And you start to believe it. You start yes. to believe anything they say. If he like, tells you you're good, you're good, outstanding, you know excellent. Yeah. You know, <laughs> for us, you're like, oh shit, for us just said that. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, man, to see like where these like for us. I remember when he wasn't even a coach; he was just a fighter. Like when I, like when I first started going to Montreal, he wasn't the coach yet. He was uh, really he was still he was still fighting. Yeah, wow, he was still fighting. He's such a good coach. He is phenomenal. But he's such a genius person. When you talk to him, his yeah, perspective he is. He on really things. Is. He's so he's always recommending books and shit. He's always recommending. Listen to this guy because this yeah. guy has the like. He told me about a competitive shooter. What is that guy's name? Lammy, Lammy, the the guy who wrote the the winning mindset. Anyway, he wrote Lammy. How did, I wrote it down somewhere. I have the book at home that I've been reading lately. Where the fuck is it? God damn it. I can't remember. But anyway, point is he's always recommending me shit. 
He's always got something, something interesting that he's been paying attention to that he can relate to MMA and to fighting. And he's, he's very, very keenly aware of the mental battles that are going on and mm -hmm. how much visualization is important and meditating. Lammy Bassam. Lammy Bassam, yeah. The guy was a um, competitive uh, target shooter. And he uh, spent more time practicing in his head than he did practicing. Wow. More time visualizing. That works. That really does work. It does something. Because when I was, like I said, when I was hurt for uh, the Rampage fight, like I, in training camp, I would I would visualize a lot. How would you do it? I would just sit there and I would just kind of like, uh, I would go through moves in my mind and I would go through techniques and I would just kind of go over and over again the techniques in my mind. I would also do scenarios where I fight in almost every single situation. Like I, I find myself, you know, losing and then finding a way to come back after I've been rocked, you know, and mm -hmm. just trying to find my, myself just mentally working through it, mentally working a mm. lot through it. Uh, uh, almost every single fight, like I'll go round by round. Really? Yeah, I'll go round by round and I'll just like, okay, I'll, I'll set up the scenario. Okay, I'll come out and i catch him with a punch. And then I'm just imagining what happens after that. And then I put myself in adversity, adversary, um, adversity every single time I can, as much as I can. So then that way I find myself always – you know, I get myself out of adversity. Sometimes I just find myself just smoking them. But it's always these different mental mental games and me just doing something and executing and always just doing it right. So it's almost like you were fighting without having to fight. Yeah. You were getting the experience of fighting in your head by just visualizing it. Mm -hmm. Would you set a certain amount of time that you would do it? Um, no, nah, I would just I would just I would just go with the flow. You know, I had um my wrestling coach in college, Tom Minko, he was always he was always on uh like I was, I was big. I I get nervous. I get nervous. I don't know what to do with the nervousness. And he says, "Well, he says you're nervous because you're thinking too much about 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 it." He said, "Just just think about executing. Don't think about the outcome. Just think about executing your technique, and just only think about executing your technique and how it feels to complete the perfect execution of the technique. When you hit the pad and it hits that, and it sounds that you know, they hear that pop. You know, how does that feel? You know, become attached to how you feel." when you execute something mm. and then that's what you start to base your fight off of, you know, how you feel when you execute versus all the things that can happen if something goes wrong. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to see the different strategies that people employ in order to like focus the mind. You know, so many different fighters have different ways of doing it. Some fighters like to meditate. Some fighters like to shadow box their way through scenarios Almost like they, they, they're thinking about how the fight's going to go down while they're like slow motion doing things. You know? Yeah, I would, I would get in the mirror sometimes. I'll yell in the mirror. I'll like yell out the fear, like, come on. Like, you know, like I, I, would, I, would, I would just, you know, I would, I would get into it because a lot of times I would get so nervous that I would be like, oh, my God. I, don't, I just don't want to freeze out there. I just don't want right. to freeze, you know. So I would like that's that's part of the reason why I started twisting my nipples. Like I go out there and I twist my nipples before the fight, and that was just to kind of do something stupid and silly. Right. But then it would allow me to just kind of relax because I'm like, well, I'm not gonna embarrass myself any worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I, yeah. I always I remember always wanting to ask you about yeah, that. Like, why do you guys do that? I would just do it just like I, you know I'm not gonna embarrass myself worse than that. So did I, George I, used to do that shit too? George would do it. Yeah, George George would do it because you know he he. I don't, I don't know. I think he he didn't like the way his nipples looked when he first came out the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being honest. 
honest, I think that's a funny thing. They look to a little too about. puffy or something. That's he didn't like funny, the way they man. look. But that's funny. Some people don't like puffy nipples, man. <laughs> so you pull on them and yank on them and shit. Yeah, man. Nipples it, on guys are weird things anyway. I know. It's you know? Puffy, it, it looks even worse. Yeah. Well, some dudes have like big areolas. Yeah. And they're the real big, embarrassed. They don't want to take their shirt off. They don't want to take your shirt off with a big areola. <laughs> with a girl, it doesn't matter at all. But a guy with a big areola is like, whoa, what's happening here, weird. man? What are you, what's going on there? The titty just hanging out like yeah. that. <laughs> weird. It's pornographic. Yeah. It's pornographic. That's what it is. That's for dudes when they get fat, that's a bummer, man, when they develop oh man tits. Oh, my gosh. I know. And they, that's a bummer. And when they don't care, they can slap you with them and stuff like oh, that, too. No. That's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. Oh, my gosh. I'm just glad I didn't have nothing like that. I, I did get big big to have some some booby weight, but not, not that dang big. <laughs> What do you do most of the time now? Like, what is your days? What What do you uh, occupy your days with? Um, you know, I, I know I you're still, doing a lot of analyst work. Yeah, so I still do. Uh, you know, I still do the analyst work, but I also, you know, um, try to do as much as I can with Onyx, and I still do my training and things like that. But you know, I also um, also work with CBS a little bit. Uh, you know, doing analyst analyst stuff for them, but you know, I'm still I'm still in that space, just trying to figure out that next thing that 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 I align with, you know, and that's why I'm so excited to work with Unlimited Sciences, you know, mm-hmm. and, and doing something that I'm passionate about because I'm passionate about psychedelics and I'm passionate, you know, that, that's what I really I really like that, and I think that that can help people, you know. Now I'm for to sure. the point where. I just want to help people, you know, that, that's, that's, that's where I'm at in my life. I feel as if like, you know, I lived, I lived a lot of my life for myself at, at this point, you know, and, and, um, I've accomplished some great things, but now I'm to the point where I just want to be able to help other people achieve what they want to in life and, and just be a part of that. You know, that's, that's what, that's what really resonates in me more than anything right now. That's beautiful. That's yeah, beautiful. I, I mean, it's it's real, man. It's, I, I know it's real. That's why it's beautiful. I, I really, I'm glad we talked, man, because I I had a feeling it was gonna go like this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm too, man. I had I had a good time, man. It's it's uh, it's definitely something. You know, I've watched you for a long time on your show, and and honestly speaking, you know, when I first started to, you know, awaken and wanted to understand a lot about these these entheogens. You know, I, I would listen to Joe Rogan and I would listen to your podcast and just, you know, the amount of information you shared and, you know, your, your, the the people, the guests that you had on you, you know, you always have a great people who speak with some knowledge that I can't even comprehend sometimes, you know, and that's and that's what it's about. You know, you feel like when I watch this show, it's such a good tool to learn, you know, and uh, thank you for that. My pleasure, brother. That, thank you for man. being here, man. I, I really man. enjoyed it. It was awesome. Thank you. Oh, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, social media, give us your social media, your Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, uh, you can check me out at um, Sugar Rashad uh, Evans at, uh, at Instagram. And uh, if anybody wants to be involved in that study, it's unlimitedsciences.org. And, um, you know, they can go in and sign up and everything will be, you know, it's it's HIPAA so that HIPAA protected so that right. no one's information to get out and you know after they send the email it'll be the information will be destroyed okay so um, that's about beautiful. it beautiful thank you brother uh, I appreciate you, you being appreciate here man you, it was man. awesome thank Rashad you. Evans ladies and gentlemen bye <laughs> <laughs>